Still your mic. Oh, sorry. Good evening and welcome to the November meeting of the Board of Supervisors, Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee. Uh, welcome. We have a, a fairly full agenda. Supervisor Bona is traveling for work and is unable to join us, um, but I have uh, spoken with him about uh, tonight's agenda, um, and I know he'll be uh, paying close attention. Our first uh, item this evening is the uh, adoption of the consent agenda. The following items are proposed for consent. Contract award, roadway and civil design for North Star Boulevard between Shreveport Drive and Route 50. Yay. Uh, award authority increase, public safety mobile radios, contract award, telephone platform system, and contract renewal, public safety mobile data computers, and related equipment. Sir, uh, I will go ahead and move approval. Second. Motion seconded by Supervisor Sains. Uh, any discussion on the consent agenda? All in favor say aye. Aye. All opposed? Motion carries 401. Uh, sorry, three. <laughs> yeah, 401 with Supervisor Bona absent. Supervisor Upstead is joining us this evening and momentarily fooled me there for a sec. Um, the first item tonight is the monthly Department of Economic Development report. Mr. Reiser. And good evening, everyone. Uh, in your packets tonight, you'll find the monthly report. Uh, indicators remain very good for Loudoun County, in particular vacancy rates, which are at pre-recession levels. Uh, including for office. Pipeline is strong. The uh, Loudoun brand has been getting a lot of uh, exposure nationally and internationally. Uh, Loudoun was featured in a great piece on the cloud on CBS Sunday morning on October 22nd. Um, and DED was the recipient of two design awards for our record of the year annual report, Graphic Design USA's 2017 American Graphic Design Award and the Association of Marketing and Communication Professionals Gold Award, so we're very proud of that. And the Loudoun holiday brochures will hit the streets this week. Each year, more than 7,500 locally grown trees are sold here in Loudoun County. This year, 12 cut-your-own-tree farms and seven greenery and product venues will be participating. The brochures will be out this week, and you can get a digital version at loudonfarms.org. I'll take your questions, and then uh, we'll introduce Steve Hargan. Uh, just wanted to compliment you on that CBS piece. I thought uh, it turned out very well for us, and it was a great explainer for people who don't quite know what the cloud is. So, Thank you. Yeah, we are very pleased with it, too. Yeah. Any other uh, questions for Mr. Reiser? Nope. Okay, our update tonight is going to be on cybersecurity and the work we're doing there to attract cybersecurity companies. And Steve Hargan, our senior business recruiter, will be your uh, guide through our discussion. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, good evening. Thank you uh, for this opportunity. Just going to spend just a few minutes talking about one of my areas of responsibility, and that is business attraction in the area of cybersecurity. Um, that is our objective uh, for, for this particular sector, uh, to attract cybersecurity companies uh, from around the country, not just from this region. Uh, we have four primary goals in achieving uh, that objective, that is, promote awareness of Loudoun County as well as the D.C. area as a whole. Um, identify potential... Better you than me. That's right. <laughs> I got too many phones. I can't keep track of turning them all off. I think I've heard that once before about too many phones. Huh? Thank you. Um, 
Anyway, uh, identify those, those clients. We have various means of identifying them, and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, develop relationships is probably the most critical aspect of this. Once, uh, once we identify potential clients, so that's building those relationships. And by building relations, we're talking about building trust. Um, they need to believe what we're telling them. Um, and one of the ways to do that is to help them establish uh, partnerships, partnerships with um, other companies as well as potential clients. As you all know, and I'm, I'm sorry that Supervisor Bona is not here this evening, uh, but he, of course, with uh, one of the two major anchor companies that we have here in Loudoun, the other being Raytheon Intelligence Information Services. Um, they are both large um, employers in this area. They both specialize in cybersecurity and related areas, and they've both been actually very helpful in our efforts uh, to recruit. Now, in ob obtaining or, or achieving the, our objectives, um, we have, I go through a little bit of a who, what, where, et cetera. Um, the how is conferences. Uh, we do research, and we do an awful lot of networking. Um, the what, uh, we're talking about companies that are not just in the areas of data and network security, um, which is, sorry, which is tr traditional, but also in the area of uh, analytics and art artificial intelligence. I'm going to get into that in just a second as well. The who is also important, I think, for you to understand. It's not just government contractors we're talking about. Uh, we're also talking about non-government contractors, uh, companies that are focused on the commercial side, the commercial demand, the commercial need for cybersecurity, which actually dwarfs that of the, of the federal government. Um, but because of our unique position here in this, this region, um, we tend to, to focus uh, on, on government contractors. Um, we do not limit ourselves, obviously, to just this region. Um, I'll talk a second about RSA conference out in San Francisco um, and other conferences and meetings. Um, so we, we try to cover the entire country, not all at once, obviously, um, but there are three major areas that, that we want to focus on, and that's obviously Silicon Valley, uh, the Austin area, and, and the Northeast Corridor. Now, we weren't able to, to really um, discern exactly how many dollars are being spent in Loudoun County on cybersecurity, um, in part because some of that information is uh, difficult to achieve. But th what this graph does represent is federal dollars um, that are being spent in Loudoun County. That's all federal dollars. As you can see, um, after a, a, a decrease, um, we're, we're back on the rise. We expect to see that to continue. The, the top line is the total spending. Uh, next line down, I believe that's green. I'm colorblind. Is um, uh, DOD, and they're obviously the, the, the largest single source for spending um, and for contract awards here in Loudoun County. Um, we do expect to see a, a fairly sharp increase in uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, here in the near future. Now, the outlook, we feel, is very positive. As long as there's an Internet, there's going to be a demand, and demand still outpaces significantly um, the, the ability to, to supply uh, solutions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just the federal government, although that has obvious critical needs in terms of national security, uh, but we're also talking about infrastructure and commercial, uh, particularly uh, utilities, uh, energy, finance, and retail. Um, more and more what we're seeing is a fusion, and it's one of the reasons I was hoping that, that Supervisor Bone would be here so he could, he could uh, contribute to this part, but we're seeing a, a 
a convergence or a fusion of what are traditional cybersecurity uh, technologies, and by that I'm talking about products and services, uh, with artificial intelligence and predictive analytics. In part, that's because the threat, um, the bad guys, are using artificial intelligence um, to anticipate defenses and to, and to penetrate. Um, so artificial intelligence is needed um, to counteract that, and predictive analytics will play a critical role in anticipating where uh, future attacks and future threats will be coming from. Uh, still one of the biggest uh, challenges we face as a region um, is in the area of skilled workforce, uh, clearable skilled workforce. Uh, again and again, I'm told by companies, as I previously mentioned, Raytheon and Telus is just, just two examples. Um, they could put to work as many people as they could possibly find that had certain skill sets uh, and were also clearable. And finally, uh, in achieving our objectives, uh, we attend events that we take a leadership role in um, and, um, and otherwise participate. Uh, here are four examples. Uh, the GovCon initiative, that's a government contractor initiative, but we've, I'm on the committee there with, uh, at the chamber, uh, by the way, that's also represented by, by Raytheon Tellos, as well as a number of other companies. Um, that effort is to bring a lot of the um, cybersecurity-related companies that we already have here in Loudoun, as well as Western Fairfax, to, to, to bring them out into the open. Um, there are dozens and dozens of companies that we, we're still, we know that are out there, but we, we can't quite find them. We've, we've had a great deal of success. These uh, events have been well attended, and um, we're trying to um, set it up so it's about a, a quarterly event. Um, NBTC, in fact, their cybersecurity sum summit, which is a major event, is taking place tomorrow, um, which I will be attending. Uh, RSA conference, the largest conference of its kind in the world, uh, takes place out in San Francisco every year. That'll be happening in April of, uh, of uh, next spring, which we'll be attending. Um, and also nonprofit organizations such as Innovative Solutions Consortium. Uh, they, they conduct uh, technology uh, challenges and events on a fairly regular basis. Uh, some of them have, have gotten some pretty good press here in, in Loudoun County. Um, so with that, I'm open for questions. Questions, Chair Randall. Comments, complaints. Good evening. Um, I actually should have said this before, but Mr. Reiser, I wanted to just commend you and your entire staff for how hard you've been working on a, on a couple of projects, one in particular, but a couple of projects lately. I know that, that you all as a as a entire department have been Brenda midnight oral and Saturday oral and sometimes Sunday oral too. And so um, you all have been um, very busy but have have not complained and have gotten, I mean, just amazing work done. Steve, my question to you is um, back on the outlook for cybersecurity, how closely are we working with uh, some of our um, colleges or institutions of higher education. We talk about needing clear, to have clear, skilled workforce is still the biggest challenge for most companies. Are we, are we reaching out to um, colleges both in Loudoun and in, um, in Virginia to try to, you know, try to meet some of that need as, they, as they're exiting from school? Uh, we are, Chair, Chair Randall. Um, in fact, uh, George Washington, obviously, and, and um, George Mason, uh, as well as Virginia Tech, um, 
those, those are three that come. And NVCC, let's not forget NVCC. Actually, they, they can play a critical role. Uh, the, most of the companies Actually, I was thinking about that, that I've talked to, they, they, they agree with the premise that more and more what are needed are certain skill sets um, and not necessarily a four-year degree. Uh, but almost going back to, say, a century ago with, with the trades, uh, where, where certain skill sets were, were taught and people became true experts in, in those areas. Um, and also as refreshers, et cetera. So, uh, yes, we are talking to them. It's, it's, they're very competitive, so it's difficult to get everybody in the same room at the same time. But, yeah, no, we, that has not uh, – that rock's been turned over, and, and we've been pursuing that with them. And, and they're very cooperative, um, and businesses have also uh, expressed a great deal of interest in that and have taken some of their own initiatives as well. Maybe just to kind of follow on on that point, I mean, I've certainly heard anecdotally and, and beyond that that there is an issue with having enough workforce in this area. So obviously the colleges can play a key role. Uh, but to what extent does our foreign-born population give us an advantage? Uh, we have um, obviously quite a bit of IT focus. We import an amazing number of uh, folks from all over the world, particularly Southeast Asia. Um, is that helpful to us in this in this cluster, or is it really just primarily IT? Um, no, I, clearly, I, it can only really be anecdotal. I don't I don't have yeah. data to, to back up what, what I'm saying, but um, based on spending years in, in, in pursuing this, um, yeah, no, there's 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 a clear advantage, and, and there as long as the only issue is um, citizenship and clear security. Yeah. Being able to, to, to clear them um, yes, yeah. in terms of, of requirements that, that deal with national security. Right. Uh, there are an awful lot of um, challenges, as I mentioned earlier during my presentation, that have nothing to do with national security where, where they, they can play uh, a significant role. Um, and, and in all three areas, not, not just the traditional cybersecurity technologies, but uh, as I mentioned, artificial intelligence and, and predictive analytics. Great. Any other questions? Thank you very much. Thanks for the presentation, and continue your good work in this uh, sector. My pleasure. All right. Anything else for us, Mr. Reiser? Uh, that is all for that item. I think okay. we're ready to move on to the EDAC. And I think the chair spoke for everybody on the board uh, with our, our gratitude uh, to all the work that your department's done, particularly in the last, uh, I guess, 45 days or so. <laughs> I'm fortunate to have a, a great team to work with, and uh, we uh, – we definitely are, are up to the challenge of trying to come up with as many big solutions as we can. Right. All right. Item number two, uh, Economic Development Advisory Commission updates. Good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Um, the EDAC has been pretty busy the last uh, couple of weeks as well. Um, we'll start first with we had our partners meeting this month uh, for the quarter where we discussed workforce and housing needs as well as this last meeting um, took action items from the housing summit the partners were working on it. We sort of kind of coalesced and figured out where we were going on that. Um, we also had our uh, full board, full commission meeting, I'm sorry, on November 3rd, where we discussed uh, DED priorities for 2018 and the importance of culture on economic development in a, in a community and how we can leverage some of that for our own um, growth here in Loudoun. We uh, helped, assisted uh, the Department of Economic Development um, supporting the Amazon um, proposal, and um, we worked with two different groups of uh, volunteers, one from the community and then one from the commission, 
in terms of supporting that ad hoc activity that, that we provided. We worked on theming issues, factors analysis, discriminative um, development, um, those kind of things. Um, where everybody and his folks asked us to help, right. we helped. Um, we also made a statement at the housing summit uh, and would like to work further to examine best practices and affordable and moderately priced, priced housing policies from other jurisdictions from around the region and around the country. Um, and then the final thing I want to talk about, which is a little lengthy, that's okay, um, discuss an issue regarding our bylaws regarding um, voting, I'm sorry, voting membership terms. We've identified an unintentional consequence arising from the term, limita term limitations in the bylaws. In the past, when we were EDC, um, we had memberships with various different terms. We had A, B, C commissioners that allowed the, the commission to sort of ease members onto the commission and then adequately develop EDAC leadership. Um, so when the EDC was restructured to by the previous board to EDAC, um, one of the changes uh, was to impose a maximum of two consecutive three-year terms. The challenge, this challenge, it's created is that it's limiting the continuity of leadership and succession planning. So the way EDAC leadership is selected and groomed kind of is as follows, and I think if I walk through this, you'll see where I'm going, because we only have these two three-year terms. So an individual is appointed to the commission where he or she serves their first term, the first year of their first term, kind of getting to know the commission and getting their feet wet with the issues we tackle to help advise the board. In my first year here, I mean, it took me, I'm a slow learner, so it took me like two years to get my feet wet, but Todd was much faster because he's younger, so only a year. <laughs> but you know how this goes. So, um, so what happens is those commissioners that, commissioners that sort of show promise, that really step up to the plate, that dive in, um, they're considered to either join the executive committee um, or to uh, chair an ad hoc or to chair the, the partners committee. So once they serve at least one of, in one of those roles for a little while, then that individual will be considered for the role of vice chair. Um, the vice chair serves for two years before assuming the chair position for two years. So typically the chairman has one year for transition to the new chairman before leaving the commission. So you guys are, I'm off the island, not really, but I'm out of this role at the uh, January 12th, Todd takes over. Um, the challenge we have, for example, is that Todd, who's slated to become chairman on January 12th, um, can only serve one year as chairman under these, under these rules. Um, no one in executive committee or any leadership roles is currently eligible to become vice chairman as no one has enough time left under the current term limit policy to become chairman for the full term after Todd. So we believe that EDAC would be void of leadership, would be ineffective in supporting DED and you, of the Board of Supervisors, and advising on economic policy as it impacts the business community of Loudoun. So what we'd like to ask you to consider is changing the language in the bylaws to no voting member shall be eligible to serve more than three terms. And I took the, the word consecutive out so that, you know, we, we don't have the game plan that could go on where you go off for a term and you come back. You got three terms, that's it. Um, if you decide you don't want to be on it anymore, you know, that's all you got. So as it stands now, we are going to be recommending, um, we'd like to recommend, we can't right yet, seven members reappointment at, at the moment for next year. Um, three of those have a second term coming, they're eligible, and two we request be granted a third term for leadership continuity and succession planning. Uh, and then we have um, two members from the community we found, we vetted, we love, and there'll be a third one that we're um, going to vote on this Friday. So 
we'll be making those recommendations. So that's kind of all I got. Our next meeting uh, is going to be January 12th. However, Todd and I have two more executive committee meetings to try to pull some stuff together for you guys uh, as it relates to housing and jurisdictions outside of Loudoun. Okay. Um, before we talk about the, uh, the term limits, um, anything new on the, um, the bridge <coughs> ad hoc committee? Um, we were kind of waiting until certain elections took place. Okay. Um, those elections have uh, occurred. Um, and really so, have. Yes. <laughs> um, on the other side of the river, not right. this side of the river. Okay. Um, and I think that that was kind of a, a, a waiting point for that. So okay. we will expect to re-engage okay. on that side now that we have had those elections. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think regarding the, um, the term issue, I think maybe what we can do is put that on the agenda for, um, I'll consult with Mr. Hemshire, but maybe next month's meeting, um, just without having had time to really think about it much, my kind of initial reaction was we, we really did want to rotate newer people onto the commission, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that I'm necessarily comfortable with everybody having nine years. That's... I, I would love a, a creative way to do it so, so that we don't lose our leadership. Yeah, we, so we, what I'm we, thinking of maybe is could we potentially, just thinking out loud, create like a chairman emeritus type of position or two or something like that so that, you know, if you are serving in the leadership position, you don't have to immediately rotate off. And that way that wouldn't necessarily expand the whole commission and it would still allow for kind of that flow through but you could also maintain continuity. So I may do some brainstorming and I can get with you on that. Another option might be to have what we used to have a long time ago with those sort of introductory terms for one year. Okay. Just to yeah. sort of vet folks before we brought yeah. them on. I don't know how that would work. I don't yeah. want to overcomplicate things either. Um, because we often find that we will bring someone on who is wonderful, right. um, but they find that you know we haven't they haven't got enough time once yeah. they realize what we ask them to do. You all have businesses to run, and it but, says just six yeah. meetings a year, but trust me, it, yeah. it ends up yeah. being a little more than that. So, okay, <laughs> well we'll we'll see if we can maybe kind of brainstorm and come up with sort of a. I, I get what you're saying, and I understand the the issue there. So maybe we can come up with a creative way to kind of get to that. Right. Um, that's not maybe a blanket way to do it. Uh, Chair Randall or Mr. Hemstreet looks like he needs to get in. Did you, okay. Okay, sorry. Mr. Chairman, I have an idea, but I'd like to. Okay, we'll talk about it. Thanks. Chair Randall. So a couple things. One, I actually want to thank you all for, um, for coming and speaking on the housing summit. That was um, not, that was the, the beginning of the, the discussion, not the end. We will circle back around to some of the suggestions that were made um, later on next year. Um, and we certainly want you all's voices involved because what, we're, what we need to have in Loudoun is just a diverse housing stock. So just the whole continuum of housing is what we're looking to have. Um, and you can help us in many ways, including um, even with messaging, to be quite honest, as to what, what we need and why. That would be helpful. I'd like for you to uh, just talk a little bit more. You mentioned really, really quickly the importance of culture. You kind of said it and then passed right by it. If you could expand that thought a little bit more. And as far as um, term limits, Mr. Letourneau and I were on the, on the same um, wavelength. I actually had already written down position for immediate past chair. Um, uh, VACO and NACO, but both those organizations sometimes have these issues, um, mostly because a person can lose their election and or get term limited out until they're off the 
they're off the island, as you, as you call it, but they figured out how to retain the experience and the brain trust that's already there. So I think there's some, there's some good examples out there, and that's a conversation that you know, we can have later, but, um, but, but uh, I appreciate what you've done in, in this position. You kind of welcomed me when I was elected, um, and I certainly hope you do stay around because um, it's... I went off the island. You're not <laughs> off the island. You think you're... I got a paddle boat for you. <laughs> Come right back in. You're not off the island. But if you could talk a little bit more about sure. the, the importance of culture, that statement. So um, it came up at a full board meeting a few months ago, and Amari Faulkner, one of our commissioners, um, asked if he could uh, do a presentation on the importance of culture and history and in a community and how it makes a community much stronger economically. It's not just simply, you know, feel good. It's not just that soft stuff. And so um, he, he looked at a couple places, Wayne County and, and Detroit being one, um, in terms of even with the lack of economic diversity, you know, they, their economy was sort of hinged upon one industry. Um, they are able to, 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 to come back based on that culture of we can do it um, and looking at how that has sustained that economy. Um, we also looked at places where um, when there were a lot of new growth and new development, and instead of you know, tearing down all the old historical town squares, but building around them, incorporating them into those communities, um, it gives sort of a central place for folks to come together as a community to, to play, to work, to, to, to do all the things that we, we enjoy here. But it also results in things like um, higher test scores, better schools, lower crime rates. Um, and so we're trying to look at further, even more stats. This sort of came up in a lot of what we are, the research we are doing to assist DED on that big project we had a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Um, and it's a stem from that. So I can certainly get you the presentation and ask um, Mr. Faulkner to uh, share that with you and, and brief you on that. And we're looking for even more stats to support how embracing a culture new and old, mm -hmm. into a community, making it part of that community as we go forward from a policy perspective when we build new developments mm -hmm. um, is helpful in terms of retaining, attracting, and growing businesses. I would love to have that discussion, and maybe at, at some point, not right now, but at some point, it may also be a discussion for Mr. Barker to have as they go through the Envision Loudon process. So thank you. Welcome. Mr. Saints. Thank you, Chair. So thank you guys for your presentation and uh, the talking points. So a quick question on the recruiting that happened uh, for the, the positions that we had open. Was it, how was the recruiting process? Did we get a lot of resumes? Did we have a backlog? Did we have to uh, go and hunt people down? Or is that some of the, is that some of the issues as well? With I was just correct that we had 23 applicants, as I, as I recall. Um, I was not at exec when they did a sort of a, a short list. And we looked at the sectors, the clusters that we have open in the industries. Um, and then made a, a, a sort of a down select kind of cut from there. Last Monday, um, we interviewed, I think, seven, six candidates. Um, and then we have one that um, Mr. Pearson took the lead on, and we took a vote on most of what we needed to do on Monday. We're waiting for just one more um, for Friday's full exact meeting. But yeah, we had a lot of, of folks turn out. Um, some industries are still underrepresented, and we have to be mindful of that. Um, but we'll keep an eye out, and we can bring in some ex experts and folks from the community to assist in that area. Okay, thank you. Yeah, just some historical context. One of the reasons why we kind of changed the structure was um, there were there was a ton of demand to get on the Economic Development Committee at the time, commission at the time, 
Um, and it was sort of sometimes a little out of balance in terms of what industries were, were represented. So we sort of created these clusters where we needed to have people. Um, and then because of that demand, we wanted to sort of try to rotate people through a little bit more than was happening. Um, so that was the reason for the, uh, the permanent. So, uh, but we'll see what we can do. All right. Any other questions tonight? Okay. Thank you so much thank for coming. You. Thank you. Good night. All right, item number three is the uh, annual update on our sister city program. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, committee members. Uh, we are here this evening to uh, provide an annual update on activities related to Loudoun County's sister cities. Um, as the committee will recall, last year the board designated five of our sister city relationships as active. Uh, in addition to that, the board adopted criteria that determined um, what, sister, what sister city relationships would qualify to be active as part of that process. Um, beginning on page two of the item is an update on the activities by the five listed by the five active sister cities. At this time, it is staff's opinion that all five of the sister cities meet the board's adopted criteria for active relationships. So we are not recommending any changes to the active status of our sister cities. Uh, at this time, we'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay. Uh, Mr. Buff. <clears throat> Thank you. As you know, Caleb, I was not sold on this whole sister city program, and I had some questions for you to sort of valid validate its worth, and I'll just go through them. I asked you how much money we had spent in total on the program. Uh, you said less than $5,000. I asked you who pays for the travel. You said EDAC, which doesn't use tax funding money. I asked you who pays for the all of the Mr. exchange. Mr. Buffett, hold on. Not EDAC, but EDA. 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 Yeah, I just EDA. wanted to clarify. Sorry. EDA. No, I'm sorry. I said the wrong one. EDA, which does not use tax money. I asked you who pays for all of the exchange student activity, and that's either privately funded or self-funded. And I asked you to list and provide me with the information for direct economic successes that we have had as a direct result from the Sister City Program. And you said that we have had at least three with, I think, four more in the pipeline. And that's resulted in tens of millions of dollars uh, into Loudoun County. So I just want to thank you for that. And I now clearly see uh, that this is a useful program, and I'll be supporting it going forward. Thank you. Chair Randall. So I'm going to be a little more mm, difficult than my colleague. So, um, okay. So I, I actually don't believe that one of our sister cities that we have right now, just by having one visit to us in many, many years, continues to meet the criteria because it was just that. It, it was really just one visit. It wasn't a cultural exchange. It wasn't an education exchange. It wasn't, they, they, I appreciate the visit and they, and as far as I know, there's no economic um, opportunities with this particular sister city. And so simply having a, a delegation from another uh, country visit us once every few years 
is in my mind not enough to keep the sister city in place. That's my that's my first thought, and one of and that's true for one of our sister cities. Um, the other thing was well, the other two things is the reason given for the sister city for Gungdung for Gungding in South Korea was the fact that they were going to have the Winter Olympics. Well, the Winter Olympics are coming. And I, they, they did visit recently, and I wasn't talking about that one, by the, by the way. They did visit recently, and they, they indicated that they were going to have um, um, hotel rooms and tickets and such for their sister city partners. Uh, it's the, the Olympics is in February, so obviously we'll be smack in the middle of the budget, so no board members probably could attend that. But I think if the whole reason for having the sister city in Gangdong, South Korea, was the Olympics, to not send a delegation to the Olympics would be kind of useless for what we said we were, what we, what we were doing. And it's, it's both a very good tourism opportunity, and, and Mr. Reiser, you can talk about that a little bit, but I'm thinking to have a discussion with um, Beth Erickson from Visit Loudoun, um, with Mr. Um, McClure from your office, maybe a, a representative from my office, um, not my chief of staff because we're in the middle of budget season. But it, it just doesn't seem logical to me that we would put this sister city in place for the express purpose of the Winter Olympics and then not send anybody to the Winter Olympics. And then the third thing is, um, it, it would also seem to me that, you know, we, we have five sister cities and one sister friendship all in a very close area. And it would seem to me that, you know, we should be looking at sister city opportunities on other continents. So obviously, you know, we can talk about Australia, we can talk about South America, we can talk about Africa. Uh, we, we, uh, we can also maybe consider India, although, uh, although not a different continent. In, we, we, have, we do so much business with India. We now have a direct flight to India and we have a, a large South Asian population. So I understand that the ones we have now are meeting minimal qualifications, but when we look at, you know, we look at um, all the all the reasons for the sister cities. I just don't think that all of them really rise. Some of them have met that criteria and beyond. So the the money we're getting, the the the, the benefit, it's not coming from all of it, all of them. The benefit's really coming from for, from three of them. So to keep the other ones on is not as logical to me, and it maybe takes off takes up room for us bringing new sister cities from other places onto the um, into the program. So, Mr. Reiser, do you have any thoughts on any of that? I know that was a lot, but yeah, I'll, I'll take them. I think one at a time. Um, first of all, um, I assume that the uh, the sister city that you're discussing is New Taipei. Uh, and, and I will tell you that, um, that we have had a up and down relationship over the years with uh, New Taipei and that has had a lot to do with their internal uh, politics and, and, and their pri priorities. Uh, there was a major um, opportunity out of uh, Taipei or the Taiwan, uh, it was the Foxconn deal uh, that ended up going to Wisconsin. Uh, we were trying very hard to get uh, get a piece of that deal that did not happen. Uh, but by and large, I would agree that that would be our least active of the sister cities that, that we've had thus far. 
Um, as far as the uh, your second point, uh, we do think that there's a good opportunity to do something special with the Olympics in South Korea. Um, and I think that uh, there is a tourism opportunity. I think there's also a, a business development opportunity. Uh, and we will scope that out and, uh, and report back to you with what we, uh, what we see there. Um, and, and finally, as far as other sister cities, um, it would be my preference from an economic development standpoint that any sister cities that uh, we, we actively engage in uh, bring us a, a wide variety of uses, and one of those being uh, economic development. Um, we would like to take a evidence-based and data-driven approach to those. Uh, we are currently doing that uh, with a management fellow that uh, has done some great work on India that's in our office now, and I understand Ms. McClellan's going to let her let, it, let us keep her after the end of this uh, session. Um, but I think that uh, we, we do believe that there were opportunities in India and in other places, uh, but I would want to take a slow and data-driven approach when trying to figure out exactly how to, to expend those resources. Mr. Chairman, if I may. Yes. I, yeah, I agree. I agree completely that, that it needs to be um, evidence-based and, and data-driven and, and with just a larger, a, a larger uh, educational and cultural and um, economic span than, than we have right now. Um, I would say the, the, uh, any, discussion on, um, any discussion with the delegation going to Gangdung would have to happen fairly quick because they, um, they indicated that, uh, that they'd like to know sooner rather than later, and the Olympics begins, I think, the second week in February, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, we won't be in the budget season yet because it's early February. February 9th is the uh, opening ceremony. So We'll be in budget season by early February. We don't have our workshops until March. Oh, God, don't tell my chief of staff that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying, you know, the, the county administrator will give his presentation. I thought we'd have it. I thought we'd be in budget season. Okay, well, well, well okay. Oh, God. They will be, but, we, okay. yeah. we. He's out the room right now for that to sound, and that's a good thing. Okay, but anyway, I just, when, 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 Mr. Um, um, Erickson and Mr. White has, have, I, I'm, I'm assuming you've been in contact with Gung Dung about our display case that we talked about before in South Korea and getting something done with that. So I just think there's all these opportunities. I actually said earlier to Mr. Mr. Reiser, you know, things like putting an, putting an ad about Loudoun County in in a magazine. Um, you know, what's what's the magazine that that, that for, for Air Asia? For Air Asia, yeah. exactly. Everyone's traveling to Asia. Put a put an article about Loudoun. I think this is just. They only have four sister cities, and we're one of them. This is just a, you know, we, we should not miss this opportunity, I, I, I believe. And we've done a lot of preliminary research on, on this event, and, and we'll be happy to follow up with you on that. Okay, thank you. Um, so maybe just to follow up on new, new type pay. So the, the write-up in the packet maybe is a little rosier than what you kind of just described in that it says that there, were, you know, there was a local meeting recently that um, indicated there were two economic development opportunities is one of those the one that you mentioned that we didn't weren't able to compete with? Right, and and, and there were a lot of reasons behind that, yeah. and, and most well, we know what some of them are. Uh, from an incentive standpoint, it didn't make sense, and yeah. uh, you know we are constantly trying to mine each and every one of these partnerships. But uh, if if you were to ask me, is this one that uh, 
that we think that we have immediate returns from, I, I would say no, probably Is there not. prospects for future returns or? I, I think it would depend on the, the climate, the business climate there. And, and yeah. we, we've not been overly convinced thus far beyond the opportunities we'd already identified. Are we, ex what sort of resources are we expending on it right now though? I would say uh, we have no current plans to expend any resources going forward. Okay. So I guess the question is, is it worth sort of delinking since we're not actually spending any resources on it? From our standpoint, we would not act any differently. We would still look for any opportunities that we had. Um, okay. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's a discussion we can have. I, I you know, um, I know that was, uh, I mean, there frankly were some political calculations, I think, um, on their part, really, at the time. Um, they were seeking out a number of these relationships um, in light of the whole, you know, Sino-Taiwanese relationship. But um, maybe that's a discussion we, we can have offline. Mr. Saints. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. I'll just pile on to Chair Randall's uh, comments earlier, like uh, looking at new new opportunities, possibly uh, South America, Latin America, since that's a big population here in our area as well, and potential business to, to bring to our area. And, and, and I would agree with you, Supervisor. I, I think that one of our challenges is that uh, it, with our limited resources and really one asset in our office to, to do international business development, it makes it, it, I would rather spend a lot of time doing a few things than a little time doing a lot of things. So, but we, we are definitely going to continue to look at ways to expand our program and look at other opportunities. Okay, thanks for the report. Let's, um, we'll try to get at least two more items done before we break. Um, Monthly-wide report, implementation of ERP. This, folks, is a big item tonight because this, God willing, is the last monthly report uh, of the implementation of the ERP project. I can't even remember when we started doing these um, uh, monthly updates, but um, this is uh, a milestone for us. So when? Okay, so Mr. Hemstreet informs me that the first monthly update to the Finance Committee was February of 2014. So here we are. Good evening. And a lot of time together. Yes. Uh, yes, this is uh, will be our last one unless directed otherwise. Don't give us a reason. <laughs> I won't tonight. Good. Uh, for the phase two implementation for the HR and payroll um, Oracle systems, uh, both um, have been completed for both Gov and schools. Um, Oracle Consulting Services uh, did complete their project closeout activities. Um, they transitioned overall responsibility to Loudon's Go Forward uh, production support program. Um, and then Loudon Project and Client Management Services uh, will be wrapping up by the end of this month uh, with final project closeout activities. Uh, the main one being uh, creating the creation of a, a central uh, project repository for all documentation. Uh, the county and schools are experiencing a, a relatively low number of issues. Um, which is not unusual, unusual for uh, enterprise-wide projects such as this. Uh, functional staff are working closely with the technical staff and DIT to prioritize and resolve um, all those open issues. And 
We expect that over the next six to 12 months, we'll uh, achieve our stabilization period and continue through operations. So when are we officially actually done with this? When we get through the stabilization period? From a project perspective, yeah. Oracle has rolled off the project as of November 7th. Okay. We're officially done with the project phase of it. Okay. I think that's a milestone that we maybe want to recognize a little bit more publicly, given that there was quite a bit of um, public discussion about the project. Um, so maybe we can work with Glenn and his team just on a sort of final kind of update as to what happened and what transpired. And I think uh, obviously there were some difficulties along the way, but I think we were able to pull together. Um, the board became more hands-on. Um, we began doing these updates, and you know, we did ultimately complete the project. So I think that that's something that our citizens should probably know a little bit more about. Mm -hmm. So we can follow up on that. Um, in terms of the lingering issues, um, I know we've had some discussion in the past that it's not unusual. Is it more on the school side, more on the county side, both equally? And um, are there any lingering concerns about those getting addressed? I don't have any concerns with them getting addressed. We actually have a combination of DIT staff working with some consultants, working through a prioritized list of the issues that are out there right now. Um, mo the majority of the issues that I've heard of are on the public safety side, just with some interface-related issues and some lingering issues that we had from Postco Live. So, um, yeah, and public safety no has issues. an extra layer to it, right? Because they do. They have um, an interface from their CAD system called Orion feeding the Oracle system, and so that's been. Um, it, it's a, it was a huge interface. It's it's quite complex and. Um, uh, we've been working through it, but I, I think we're making good progress. Okay. Other questions? Hearing none, thank you all for your work. Um, we hope we don't see you again here, at least in this context. Um, but uh, I'm glad that we were able to successfully complete the project. Thank you. Last. Okay, uh, item number five is update on funding for mental health, substance abuse, and developmental services, employment, and day support services. So this is an item that during the budget, um, we had some significant discussion um, on how much to provide to day support services, and there was a couple of proposals, and um, I did not ultimately support one of the proposals that would have provided additional funding, but in doing so, I committed to doing a check-in at the Finance Committee to see how things were going and make sure we were meeting the needs, so that's why this item is on the agenda tonight. So with that lead-in, Max Harrison is here to give you the update, and we'll go right to it. Good evening, Mr. Chairman and committee members. I want to begin by thanking you for this opportunity to update you on the utilization of the additional funds given to us to provide employment and day support services in fiscal year 2018. Included in this proposal, or I'm sorry, the approval, was a request for MHSADS to reduce the existing wait list as well as engage additional providers to increase service options to residents of Loudoun County. At the time of the budget approval, there were 36 individuals on the wait list. Currently, 
12 individuals previously on the wait list have now begun to receive services. And we are anticipating that most, if not all, of the remaining individuals, the 24 individuals left, will be receiving services by the end of June 2018. Since July 2017, MHSADS has contracted with two additional vendors, bringing the number of vendors providing employment and day support services to five. After meeting with the existing providers, it's anticipated that fiscal year 2018 budget of $2.5 million will be sufficient to maintain the current service levels as well as provide services to those individuals on the existing wait list. In the spring of 2018, we are anticipating approximately 15 graduates will be added to the wait list. Based on the current patterns of, that we are seeing on how individuals are utilizing the services and discussions with vendors and support coordinators who are working with the individuals and families, we envision that no additional funding will be necessary for fiscal year 2018 and 19. Um, at this time, we're open to any questions. So what is driving the date of June of 18? Because that sounds like kind of a long time in our terms, but is that driven by um, availability, funding, uh, the, the choice of the individuals? All of the above. Uh, <laughs> the uh, trend that is most significant that we're seeing is individuals are requesting part-time services as opposed to full-time services, and the services that they are requesting uh, are not the more expensive services like med uh, medically fragile or enhanced day support. Uh, they seem to be asking more for uh, regular day support and uh, employment opportunities. Okay. Uh, Chair Randall, question? First of all, thank you. Thank you for coming back. That's an interesting um, um, explanation. You know, in, with this population, success um, gives to success. And so if you have individuals who are, who are looking for part-time services, it, it often means because what they were receiving before um, put them or their families in a place where they um, um, gain some skill levels where they were, um, um, where full-time services were no longer required. So that actually speaks to the good work that has already happened um, in the past. You said we have five new current, uh, five new uh, uh, contract services. Do we know who those people are, who those uh, contracts are with already? Do we know who those are going to be with? Yes, uh, we have ECHO. Mm -hmm. St. John's Community Residences, and the two new ones are Etron and MVLE. Is Wildflower under Etron? Yes. So, so we just incorporated Wildflower as one of as one of them as one of the new services. Yes. That's very good. That's a very very good program. Um, two people per month coming into Echo. Is, is that more or less than what we've seen in the past? I don't know what, what, how to, what, what to compare that against. It says about two a month uh, are entering two clients a month, but I don't know what to compare that against. That is more than what we've experienced. That is more. But those people who are coming in are not requiring full-time services. That appears to be the, the uh, current trend, yes. And then the last question is, um, in the past we've had 
Um, we've always had transportation for people with disabilities, both physical and other disabilities. But there, there in the past has been, I think, not understanding of what the families and what the individuals of what that transportation has been and how available it's been for them and that type of thing. I met a young woman recently whose disability was not physical, but she she clearly qualified for our disability transportation. I sent her name up, made the right phone calls, and that happened. But are you are you is that an issue for you? Are you finding that the people um, in the program are receiving the transportation needs that they that they need to um, to be able to get to their jobs or their part-time jobs. And and the second part of that question is we recently had someone come in from the DSB board who has been a huge advocate for people with disabilities and talked about um, um, disability housing. Um, is, is, I, is, that, is that a need that you all are seeing, disability housing? So either disability transportation, disability housing, or either one of those needs. And, and if you don't have those answers right now, you can feel free to get those to me later. Uh, the individuals receiving services now are uh, receiving the transportation that they need. However, uh, not all providers provide transportation. So it can create a barrier for uh, individuals seeking services from those providers. As far as uh, disability housing, I think that's always going Sorry, to be. Can you do that answer again? I did not say, do that one more time about the transportation answer. Do that, to, tem, tell me that again. Okay. The, the individuals currently receiving services are receiving the transportation uh, services that they need. However, not all of the providers that we contract with provide transportation, so it can create a, a, a barrier for uh, individuals with the amount of choices that they have. But, but the program. county has transportation, so even if the provider doesn't, isn't this, doesn't the county um, fill in that gap? So if I may step in for a moment. Um, for ECHO, uh, based on the individuals that go to that location, they provide transportation. For a good many of the folks that access these services within this contract, they're eligible for Logisticare transportation under mm -hmm. DMAS, mm -hmm. Medicaid, if there isn't um, uh, transportation operated by the vendor. Mm -hmm. I do think that some of your question is broader than just these vendors, if I understood correctly. There isn't, that we do work with individuals through employment that need disability transport that require more than just a public bus to get so from if, location So to if location. the providers are not doing it, what, what are we doing? Um, well, and that's where I think I have to go back and, and dig into that data. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, yeah. Parents are providing yeah. it or... I, you know what, normally I, I call you all in advance and I tell you what questions I'm, I'm going to come with so you can come with that, and I didn't this time, so it's, it's fine if you come back with me with those answers later. That's, that's not a problem. Thank you. Mr. Saints. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you for the report. Uh, just one quick question. For those who are, you know, choosing part-time, is it just a personal preference or is it just, we just are not able to meet their, their needs for full-time? No, that's a personal preference. Is, is there any particular reason why or is it? Uh, actually, it's a relatively new uh, trend and in t 
speaking with the vendors doesn't seem to be a, a common factor that contributes to that, but I think it's something that we need to look at to better be able to uh, project needs in the future. How would we be able to, how, would, how are we gonna do to get that information? There's like a survey you guys ask uh, uh, the participants or? That is probably part of the process. And I think it's going to be a coordinated effort between the vendors and sport coordinators working with the families so that uh, we can try to determine what the most common factor is in, in contributing to this request. Okay. Thank you. Supervisor Armstead. Thank you. <coughs> <coughs> Thanks, Mr. Chair. Um, <coughs> on, excuse me, <coughs> page seven of the um, the implementation plan, um, the fourth bullet down is co-location of services, and that's something you've indicated you wanted to look at. Uh, Wade Byard has been on the board of a co-located services, social services network out in Winchester for over 20 years. Are you looking at a similar model here in Loudoun, and do you have a, any thoughts about where you think it should be located? And would you want to include both governmental services and private sector services in that model? Nonprofits? So I, I believe you're in a different item than the oh, one I'm sorry. that we're presenting. And forget I said anything. Thank you. No problem. Um, well, I guess just to summarize, um, thank you for, for doing what you can to reduce that wait list. Um, I know that you heard that from everybody on the board. Um, I think we ultimately, um, I was kind of advocating for being a little bit more conservative about it because I knew there were some new vendors coming along and, and it has made a difference, mm -hmm. certainly sounds like, as well as the model. So I think we ultimately made the right call there, but um, I think you guys have also done some good work to be uh, proactive in bringing on additional providers and following the board's direction to try to reduce that waiting list. So, Thank you. Any other questions or comments on this? Okay. Thank you. And you can provide that answer in, in writing to the, to the whole committee. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, let's try to get through one more item. Uh, item six, the quarterly report, FY18, first quarter financial update, cash proffer, and debt report. Good evening. Um, we are here with our quarterly report for the first quarter of FY18. Um, we are in good shape so far this fiscal year. We are anticipating um, about a $52 million uh, balance uh, based on revenue projections and expenditure projections. Um, but as always, we update those figures quarterly uh, just to make sure that we're capturing any changes that occur on the revenue and as well as the expenditure side. I'm happy to take any questions. So 10 million of that we'll need to keep in reserve, That's roughly. Correct. So that leaves 42, and then that would become money that we can, um, some of it we could potentially use for the next fiscal year um, and funding one-time needs, and then um, there may be 
Um, well, that pretty much sums yes. it up, I guess. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> uh, but that's good news. Um, how it sounds like our data centers are continuing to come in strong. In particular, anything else worth highlighting? Uh, no, really, we're seeing very strong gains in personal property tax. You've identified that. Yeah. Um, and in terms of proffers, um, we had some fairly significant ones coming in, um, a couple of them over a million dollars in the first quarter. Um, so those will be things that um, then get programmed in our CIP generally? That's correct. We okay. look to that fund to support our CIP projects. Okay. All right. Um, any questions or comments on this? No? Okay, um, why don't we go ahead and take about a 15 minute or so break um, and then we'll get to item seven. Thanks.
Okay, we'll resume with item seven, uh, FY19 budget development intersection improvement program. And you all have at your, um, at your seats the actual list of intersections. We had seen this before. It came to us a while ago, but um, I didn't actually remember what was what in this list um, since there is hundreds of intersections in here. Um, and so I wanted everybody to see this as staff is discussing it. And this is a budget development item. So what, what it means is we are, um, staff's bringing this to us as an issue, and we did this last year too, an issue that they will be trying to address in the upcoming county administrator's proposed budget. And it may be that it's something that the administrator proposes. It may be something that um, is in the enhancement list, but either way, um, the purpose of these items, just to refresh everybody, is to kind of flag issues for us that um, we maybe aren't quite as familiar with that are probably going to need our attention in the budget. And this came after uh, the Board of Supervisors asked for an evaluation of all the intersections in the county that don't have signals that are, frankly, are in need of them or are having other issues. And you can see there's a rank from um, one to five on uh, each of these. So I will turn it over to staff to go further. Who is starting? Aaron starting. Okay. I will kick us off. Good evening. Um, thank you for the introduction. Uh, the item before you is a budget development item, and it is a follow-up to the intersection improvement program work that was presented to the board on March 23rd. During that initial discussion, staff presented a study that was completed by Kimley Horn, which um, went over the unsignalized intersections in the CTP. A total of 724 intersections were identified, and of those, 523 were studied and ranked on a scale of one to five, with five being the highest priority in terms of safety and impact. During the discussion of the study results, staff was also asked to return to the Finance Committee for additional review of results and recommendations from staff concerning implementing a program. Additionally, the board asked to expand the study to include approximately 180 additional existing signalized intersections and roundabouts. Kimley Horn has been engaged to complete that phase of the analysis and they're currently working on it. Results of this study are not complete at this time and so they are not included in the recommendations you see in the item this evening. Based on the feedback and discussion at March 23rd, staff is proposing a phased implementation of the intersection improvement program as part of the CIP development process. And that is what we need your guidance and comment on this evening. It's important to note the implementation of staff's recommended approach or another variation, um, if the board so chooses, would have an operating impact on the Department of Transportation and Capital Infrastructure. Staff has explained in the item two basic approaches, one of which would add staff to the department and one of which would util utilize mostly contractual dollars for management of the program. I will note that staff is continuing to explore both of those options, and so we're not necessarily looking for specific guidance on that, but based on your discussion about the program itself as part of the CIP, staff would intend to return as part of the budget to do both the CIP and a proposal that would support it on the operating side for the department. So this item is primarily focusing on the CIP implementation. Staff has recommended that the program take a systematic approach to addressing unsignalized intersections in priority order, beginning with the most critical, providing project resources for five signal projects and one roundabout project each year after an initial ramp up period. This program assumes that each signal project takes roughly three years to complete and each roundabout roughly five years. 
However, each project could have unique circumstances and as such, these timeframes are just an approximation for planning purposes. Each signal project costs approximately $650,000 and around about $8 million, and these estimates are in current values. Under this recommendation, it would take approximately six years to initiate, initiate 29 of the Level 5 identified projects. It's important to note that staff would also recommend retaining the existing traffic signal contingency account in the CIP to provide resources for emerging intersection issues should there be any outside of this planned program. Staff is prepared to incorporate the program into the proposed FY19 to 24 CIP for the board's consideration as part of the budget process. Um, and as mentioned previously, staff would also recommend an approach to supporting it on the operating side. Um, at this time, staff from DMB and DTCI are available to answer questions about the item or our approach to it. So one of the reasons why this is here is because the board was not only, <clears throat> we'll say, frustrated with the number of, of intersections that need signals, but also with the amount of time that it takes to get a signal in an intersection, which typically um, I usually tell people from the time that the warrant study is initiated is at least 18 months. Um, what I don't know that we've addressed anywhere in here is whether any of this additional work would actually speed up the time frame of getting a signal project done or whether those time frames are just simply too fixed because of the VDOT process and really cannot be accelerated. So can you start with that? I'll start and I may have Mr. Shamut add additional information, but the latter of what you said is basically the issue. It's a process that needs to be revised and revisited. Uh, I believe it reported at the last board meeting a question was posed similar to this and that we've had, I believe, four separate meetings with VDOT, including the VDOT central office that kind of establishes the policy uh, regarding these project developments. And VDOT has actually retained the services of a consultant to help uh, facilitate these discussions and bring back or formulate recommendations to improve the process. We have not received a report back from VDOT yet, but what I can say is through our staff's efforts, we have been able to make some subtle changes that have had uh, positive impacts probably in the three to four month period at this point, just simply from the early meetings that we've had with VDOT relating to allowing foundation designs to be done early, utilizing uh, regional polls or previously, or previously approved poll designs because every single traffic signal poll is uniquely designed based on the position and type of traffic signal head that's on that on that pole. So these are the what we call low-hanging fruit, but we believe there are other opportunities for improvement as well. Okay, and that might be something to engage with the state with uh, both a new administration coming in and new members of the House of Delegates about. Um, so what I, I don't know that we have here is and maybe it sounds like from what Aaron said we may not get it, is a recommendation on whether we're better off going in-house for staffing or using contractual services. I mean, we use a lot of contractual services already, um, certainly for design issues and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, are you leaning one way or the other in terms of effectiveness? And also, do you anticipate that 
a contractual services program would have roughly the same costs as bringing in-house, I think it was three FTE that we were discussing. Mr. Chairman, if I could address some of that. Um, so I think that that's, uh, to answer your direct question, what, uh, and then I'd like to back up a little bit, but to answer your direct question, I think that's something that Mr. Crowbeth and I need to talk a little bit more about. The, the challenge from my perspective that the department, part of the challenge the department has currently is they've got a very large capital program. And so what happens is when you have staff uh, and you have kind of an urgent uh, emergency or urgent issue that's happening, you tend to pull your staff and throw them at whatever that issue is until you can get Whatever the in. board's yelling about at the moment. Um, <laughs> You're just politely saying it. Uh, those were your words, sir. Those were not mine. But, uh, but so the concern I have is if, you know, we, if we back up and we look at how we got here, uh, if you recall, starting a couple years ago, we started getting a lot of board member initiatives around specific intersections. And, and in fact, even up through this year, current year CIP, we have a number of specific requests for very specific intersection improvement projects from individual board members to be placed or somehow ranked within the capital budget. So when we took a look at this, and Mr. Krobeth and his folks took a look at this uh, nine months ago, roughly, uh, we want to come up with a, with a process that would, that would get to the most uh, urgent intersections or worse, from a traffic perspective, intersections, and then put together a program that would systemically, with board review, uh, and we're proposing an annual basis, program at least five of those intersections for improvements each year and then eventually work through the list. Uh, you know, one way, and so that's how we got here and that's what's in front of you. And so really what we're seeking from the board is, is this, or from the finance committee, in terms of budget development, does this continue to make sense to the committee as we go through and develop the capital improvement program because it, it would kind of take the place of the board member initiatives that we keep getting uh, that we keep getting given to us, and it would provide a rational basis upon which to signalize or provide roundabouts at the highest priority intersections uh, in the county. The highest priority being defined as first the criteria that's in the item, but then secondly by the board through the board's annual review in in the review of the capital improvement program. Now, having said that. If we are going to maintain a schedule, you know, and this is what I need to talk to Mr. Krobeth about, there is, there is some merit to saying, hey, we do go ahead and hire uh, one or two uh, construction project manager type people and then go out for a design build contract that focuses just on signal installation or one that focuses just on roundabouts and then that's all they do, which means it's less likely for those people to get pulled and to do something else, but that's something we need to talk about. There's other program management models that are out there that we could completely uh, use the private sector for, but that's, we haven't completed that conversation. Yeah, I think as long as we are maintaining some money and contingency for issues that are unforeseen, traffic patterns that change, you know, when we do these, this, this analysis that we're using for the fours and fives is already, you know, probably nine months, 12, you know, the 12 months old. And in this county, that's an eternity because roads open. I mean, I can tell you the opening of Loudoun County Parkway has completely changed the tra traffic patterns all throughout the southern part of the county. 
And I would suspect some of these rankings may even change, and some of the ones that are fours are probably now fives because of that. So we would need to, if we're going to base a capital program on that, we would need to allocate money to actually go out and update Every these year. rankings regularly and also probably keep the contingency for when there's just urgent things that come in. You know, I still think the board, you know, needs to have the ability to come in with something when needed, but I would hope that by doing this sort of program, we would eliminate most of the need for it as opposed to just say as a yeah. process, we're not going to do it anymore. It would also allow for, yes, the, the regulatory issues around traffic signalization of an intersection that Mr. Crowbeth ran, ran through still exist. However, if we know the specific intersections that are programmed upon the adoption of the budget, that does allow us to direct the consultant and so we can get a more consistent timing on yeah. And if we're using the same contractor or set of contractors, then that process just gets a little more streamlined. Uh, you know, part of the challenge with the board member initiative process is that poll staff, they have to go work yeah. on that, and it, it, re it resets the priorities within the department, which causes delays in kind of a cascading effect yeah. when you get down the line. Okay, let's get some others in. Mr. Buffington. Thank you. Um, I agree with staff's recommendation here. I definitely agree with keeping the traffic signal contingency plan in place so that we can address some of these emergencies that arise that weren't otherwise planned for. Uh, I have a question. You said that you've made some progress and possibly already shaved three or four months off the progress for the, the signal um, timeline. Is that currently in place? So should we not be saying 18 months now from start of warrant? Should we be saying 15 or 14? Well, the actual timeline that we had been advocating for beginning to end under the current, what was the prior to being slightly revised program, was actually more, depending on the intersection complexity, somewhere between 24 and 48 months from beginning to end, not, not 18 months. <laughs> so, but, so the point is we, are, we have shaved time off that. So it, the problem is... Generally speaking, no two intersections are identical. Right. The, 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 20, the 48 month is an extreme situation when there's land acquisition to occur. If there's no land acquisition, then we can typically deliver a signal in that 24 month period going through the study process. Now also remember the traditional way for signals to be completed is they come generally from a board member's office as a BMI. And just think about the process. Staff, go do a study. We bring the study back. Okay, staff, go do the design. We do the design. Staff, go do, go find the money. We do that. Staff, go build the project. So by creating this systematic process, we eliminate probably somewhere between four and six months of just coming back to the board and asking Approval for this phase, approval for this phase, and approval for this phase. So inherently, this will speed the process up, and I failed to say that when you asked the question earlier uh, to Rosalind Turner. In working with VDOT, were you finished? I'm sorry. No, I, I'm... In working with VDOT, I know they're going to be coming back to you all with some recommended, the central office, with some recommended changes, hopefully. Um, do we have an ETA on that? Katab, do we know? A uh, response back from the, the timeline. For construction in of a no, 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 timeline for response back from VDOT about our meetings that we've had with them. 
we're still working with them. So what, you've asked the question whether we've done some things, and yes, we have. The signal goes through our process. And what we're trying to do is pull some of the items that usually go to construction in the design phase. This way, we could save a lot of money and do it concurrently rather than do it after we go to construction. For example, geotechnical borings. That has always been the contractor responsibility, requiring to go to get a permit from VDOT and then actually perform the boring and come back to VDOT. Now, we have a few projects out there uh, we're working on right now that the boring is being done as part of the design. So we'll hand that to the contractor to perform. Now, we're working with procurement on a way to actually design the foundation and the master arm and the pole as part of the design phase so the contractor can just take that and start the fabrication. In the future, as we get more and more into the program, we may even think about maybe fabricating some of these poles and must mast arms and have them available to us to use when the contractor goes to construction. So, so do you expect VDOT to come back, the central office? You guys have been discuss having discussions with the central office, and they, uh, I believe you said, hired a contractor. When do we expect them to come back with some of these recommendations? Actually, I was in a meeting with VDOT, and, and they were discussing signals, and they're actually looking at, at the central office at ways to have a standard mast arm and pole to be used. The, the answer to your question is we don't have the okay. answer to your yeah. question at this okay. point, but we can certainly last, get that information and provide it to you. Last question. Is there a difference in cost, um, estimated cost, from a roundabout in eastern Loudoun versus a roundabout in western Loudoun? like say off of Route 50 and another, you know, one lane each way road uh, in the rural part of the county. Is that still $8 million? I would say they are generally about the same. There are two components that would be significantly different, and one is land value if land has to be bought. The other is maintenance of traffic, the volume of traffic that has to be dealt with managed throughout construction. Aside from that, the construction is pretty much consistent. Thank this $8 million is kind of like a high-level budgetary number to set up the program. Thank you. Supervisor Saints. Thanks, Chair. Um, thank you, guys. I would, I would echo Supervisor, uh, Chair of the Turnos, moments, uh, his comments earlier about how we need to update the report um, or possibly look at it because, uh, for example, in Sterling you have one under um, – there's a Potomac View Road and Camaro Drive. That signal has been up now with the opening of the, the Cascades Overlook. That is on your, and you have it noted as a as rank number four. So that signal is up. So that, you know, so that's a, an example of where we need to definitely look at updating the, the report. And then secondly, how would you look at implementing this? Would this be like, say, you would take the, maybe the top one or two or three from each district and work on those to get them done or... Would that be the, the way to kind of phase these things in, or we just go district by district? Or Well, as Mr. Hemstreet indicated, if, if the board were to endorse the concept and they agreed upon five signals per year and one roundabout as being the appropriate work effort, we would come back to the board, I presume, as part of the capital budget process and ask the board here is the list of the top five, or the number five ranked intersections. Which five would the board like done in this upcoming year? And ask the board to prioritize those within that list of five. And if the board had questions about 
you know, additional priorities or updated crash information, we would provide that as part of that discussion. Okay. But but it, I just I just want to emphasize that staff would seek that direction from the board, not the staff decide which projects to do. Okay. And then the other question is, would this because uh, I. I think you kind of touched on it before, like where somebody brought up a BMI and then wanted to kind of take their BMI and insert it in here or take, a, say, if like one of the five, the top five on your list and say, no, like to insert this BMI that I'm working on is that's possible. That's possible with the, the way that I guess the guidelines are currently right now, right? Well, that, that's how the, a majority of the projects are brought forward. There are some that are brought forward through studies that, that staff has done. Um, but again, those emerging ones where where there might be a, a crash or traffic conditions have changed, the traffic signal contingency fund we're recommending would remain in place. That it would that it that you wouldn't do away with it because that would be our backstop gotcha. to address those types of issues that your office deals with that are unexpected that you don't know about that may occur in the next. Couple months. Perfect. Thank so you. I hope that answers so, your question. Yeah, that's the answer. You got it. So good. Thank you. So I think to sum up, we are interested in this program. We are interested in moving forward. I think we we think this makes sense. I think you're hearing from us. We want to make sure that before any decisions are in front of the board, that we have the most up to date information available. Um, in in terms of you know prioritization, um, it does raise a question. There's 29 ranks five intersections, so if we can only do five <laughs> at once, um, there's going to have to be some give and take on that in terms of which intersections. Um, and so as much objective criteria in terms of probably, I, I see traffic volumes in here, crash count, um, you know, those sorts of things we'll, we'll definitely need before we can do that. But I think um, um, anything else you need from, from us? terms of guidance or direction no I don't I mean the decision about whether to go in-house or outside I think we'll leave it to you to have a further discussion with staff about and you know probably be prepared to hopefully support when we come into the budget okay let's sum it up all right let's move on to item eight um, which is another budget development item uh, disaster resilience and cloud strategy analysis. So this is kind of a long-awaited uh, presentation, and it's uh, it is unfortunate that Supervisor Bona is not here tonight because this is his not only area of expertise but also one of his pet questions um, every so often at these meetings, which is when are we going to see a cloud strategy? So the answer is tonight. Um, so I'm sure he can he can watch. Um, and uh, he'll probably have his own questions, and we'll rely on his expertise uh, in helping us uh, when we get to this in the budget. But um, this, obviously, everybody here, I'm sure, remembers that we had a significant incident uh, where our services were down for a while, and that's accelerated the conversation. Wendy, if you want to. Yes, good evening. Um, I'm sorry Super Bona isn't here tonight either. Um, I'm here to provide you with a brief a summary of the three studies completed in FY17 that when taken together provide the foundation for a proposed technology roadmap. There are four key themes that I'd like to offer as a high-level overview of this item, and I'd like to call them the four Ds of technology modernization, uh, department, demand, disaster, and direction. 
The first theme is department. The Department of Information Technology restructured in the past year to meet the technology needs of the organization through the reclassification of existing positions. The restructuring was in part accomplished through the retirement of existing employees versus through the request for new FTEs. Additionally, uh, new technologies like Oracle and SQL Server and some of these other technologies that we've introduced have increased the complexity of the applications that we're supporting by DIT and shifting positions to focus on how those systems are supported long-term is necessary to meet the demands of the departments who rely upon them for their business operations. Restructuring the department through the shift of existing positions has resulted in cost-effective use of current resources to meet the technology demands of the organization. The second theme I'd like to talk about is demand. Demand is managing technology growth through the use of cloud services to contain application costs. During the past five years, approximately 53% of county enterprise applications have migrated to the cloud. These include our Oracle financial system, our library system, our uh, tax assessment system, email system, and several others. The trend is increasing with the transition of applications like the land management information system to the cloud. And keeping up with the increasing demand for technology requires us to be agile and flexible, and the cloud is easily suited for that. Cloud providers support fluctuating workloads and test, uh, test environments without large-scale capital investments. Conversely, if the applications that the county currently has in the cloud were on-premise, DIT would need to purchase sufficient hardware to make sure that we were able to manage the maximum load and the maximum demand of those applications. Cloud applications also provide the infrastructure and reliability that are critical to the county's long-term disaster resiliency capability. The third theme is disaster. Disaster planning is about managing and mitigating our infrastructure-related risk. A data center outage of 2017 pointed to some deficiencies in our data center facilities. However, I want to make sure to emphasize that the county still met our current recovery time objectives for bringing up major systems, and we did not lose any major applications, nor did we suffer any major losses with, with public safety-related systems at that, during that particular outage. Our current data center facilities are aging and require investment to meet what would be considered a fit-for-purpose data center standard. Most Fortune 500 companies and metal, most federal agencies have started migrating their um, infrastructure to these commercial data centers to ensure continuity of their critical infrastructure. Uh, staff doesn't believe that it's cost-effective or sustainable to build and maintain a true modernized and scalable data center. Instead, we believe that the county should leverage one of the 75 plus or so fit-for-purpose data centers that we currently have in Loudoun County. And the last thing I'd like to talk about is direction. The studies combined to support a technology roadmap and a direction that will allow DIT to work toward delivering efficient, highly available technology services for all county departments as we continue to grow in our reliance on technology. The first step was a restructure of the department, which will continue to evolve as the county's direction shifts to meet the demands uh, and disaster resiliency. The second is the implementation of a cloud-first strategy to meet the application demands of the county. And the third is the utilization of a commercial fit-for-purpose data center to ensure that the county's infrastructure is disaster resilient. The four together represent the four Ds of modernization and to begin the implementation of the roadmap 
the migration of critical data center infrastructure components to a commercial data center is the most prudent first step to be considered. This will allow the county to begin consolidating separate aging data centers and eliminate the capital construction investment needed to maintain and improve the existing aging county facilities or to build its own new data center. My staff and I are available to answer any questions you may have about this. So item. when you transfer your funding obligations from capital to operating, the, the advantage of capital is that we can finance it and um, issue debt and sort of space out our hit at a time. Obviously, in the operating budget, you can't do that. So what does that sort of uh, initial wave look like if we were to migrate to a commercial data center? The, the, the first wave of migrating to a commercial data center would actually be the migration of existing capital infrastructure into a data center and the uh, incurrence of the, the lease costs associated with being in a data center. So one of the things that's occurring in FY19 is we're establishing uh, a secondary master radio site at a data center in order to have redundancy for our master radio site um, uh, infrastructure equipment. And by doing that, we will have the connection at a data center, and that would allow us to then leverage that connection to move equipment that's currently possibly here at the government center into but a But that data equipment center. doesn't really have a cost associated with it right now because it's uh, our equipment. It, it's our equipment right, right now. So I guess what I'm asking is, what, what sort of scale, like, what, you know, give us some round numbers in terms of what we're talking about for what we could be looking at in terms of costs. I just don't have any, any idea what, what to expect. I think if I can speak, mm -hmm. um, I think we're still working on the scaling of those costs. Conceptually, we wanted to start the discussion of is this a, a good or direction. a bad direction for us to, to work through. And then well, kind of as you saw in the previous item, we're still constructing the I think in, in concept, it's a good direction. But if I don't know if this is going to cost, you know, a couple hundred thousand or 10 million, it's hard to kind of say, honestly. Well, we're, we're just putting together, we're in the process of putting together estimated costs as part of the budget process. And obviously, there are a number of competing priorities um, during this fiscal year. So um, we, haven't had, we haven't had a chance to fully form everything at this point in time, but it will be part of what I will be considered, I think, as part of the discussions as we continue to move forward. And whether or not we're able to m make any improvement this fiscal year or in future fiscal years, um, it will be up to the budget process to determine. Well, yeah, but I think before we abandon our capital project planning process in this area, we still probably need to know and make some decisions long-term about what our strategy is. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we're probably going to need some more information even before we can start making those kind of higher level budget decisions. We will we'll pull that information together and then provide it. Okay. Other questions, Mr. Buffington? This is not my field, obviously, but I would agree with what has been said by Supervisor Letourneau. And to quote Supervisor Bona, since he's not here, he said, the strategy is a good approach. I won't read the rest because it talks about vulnerabilities. But he said, we need to move out as fast as possible on the plant. 
And I would agree with that. And I think the next step is for us to know what are we looking at financially if we do that. Okay. We'll definitely pull that information together and make sure that it's all uh, yeah. formalized. Yeah. And I think we're going to need sort of a comparison of what our expected costs would be under the existing infrastructure versus what this migration is going to look like. And obviously, this is not only a cost decision. I mean, we, we it's pretty clear we're going to need to do this from a standpoint of just doing the right thing, protecting all of our operations. Um, but how quickly we do it and how sudden we do it and how much we do it are all things that we, we can control. So, Yeah, and that's and like I said, that's all part of the budget process. And, it, and right. again, it doesn't have to be, it, it can be scaled over time. And that's, yeah. that's the beauty of a roadmap is it can be scaled over time. Right. Okay. Any other questions or comments? All right. Thank you very much. Item 13, personal property tax enforcement plan. So this is another item that we asked to come back when we were uh, made the decision to eliminate the vehicle decals. Um, and let me tell you, I just recently put my decal on, and I was cursing the entire time. I even sent Roger Zern a note because in my wife's minivan, you cannot get your hand down there where the thing comes off. And anyway. Um, but we, we want to make sure in doing that we uh, are not leaving a lot of money on the table, and so we ask for some strategies from the Commissioner of Revenue to ensure that we do, in fact, collect the money that uh, is owed to us. So that is what uh, the Commissioner has for us this evening. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the Board. Um, you'll recall at your meeting on July 20th, the Board took action to eliminate decals and project fairness effective June 30 of 2018, um, and you asked me to come back and provide you a plan for enforcement of personal property taxes. Um, and this item, action item, outlines um, those activities plan. Um, I am recommending that the uh, board direct staff to include two personal property tax compliance specialists in the proposed FY19 budget for my office. Um, I'm asking that you direct staff to impose an ordinance for a $100 out-of-state license plate fee. I'm also asking that you support legislation to authorize utility providers to release to local taxing authorities information concerning new customers and authority to obtain from public schools information concerning vehicles and their owners who are issued parking permits or passes. And I have been in touch with um, Loudoun County Public Schools. I've reached out to them, but I haven't uh, had a chance to talk with uh, Dr. Williams or his chief of staff regarding that, but I did want to let you know that I have reached out to, to them. Right now there are 380,000 vehicles on the uh, tax rolls. As you know, um, the elimination of decals is going to present quite a few challenges. Um, right now, we receive weekly information from DMV about vehicles that have come to the county, uh, been purchased or sold or moved. Um, I'm proposing that we begin notifying by mail purchasers of real estate in the county about personal property tax obligations. That, that's not something that we uh, currently do. Say that, sorry, say that again. 
when you purchase real estate in the county, notifying oh. you by mail right. okay. that you uh, have an obligation for personal property taxes on your vehicles. Yeah, that's a great idea because a lot of people who move here and buy here have no idea. If, if you're not from a place that has personal right. property taxes, you might not be aware. Um, we begin, uh, we propose to begin obtaining on a monthly basis a list of newly registered voters so that we can compare that information with uh, DMV and our tax rolls. Um, we are proposing to ask DMV for annual list of vehicles registered to another locality but uh, with a Loudoun County mailing address. We've never done that in the past. Um, we are undertaking a regular exercise of cross-referencing Loudoun County business tax accounts with DMV records so that if you're a business that likely has vehicles, we're going to check to see if all of those are properly registered um, with Loudoun County. We already obtained lists of tenants from apartment buildings, operators, self-storage facilities, and office buildings. And we're going to expand requesting information from homeowners associations that issue parking passes and gate um, openers so that we can make sure those vehicles are all on our tax rolls. Um, these tasks will involve uh, significant research and interaction with taxpayers. Cross-referencing all this data is going to take quite a bit of time. And I envision a lot of back and forth with uh, property owners. Um, I'm requesting the adoption of a $100 out-of-state license fee. This encourages residents to register their vehicles uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. That will then have them in DMV's records, and it will make, make it easier for us to track those vehicles uh, in the county. That fee would not apply to members of the armed forces who are stationed here on military orders. Um, right now, I presently have 12 personal property uh, tax assessors. Um, for your information, we have an average net vehicle growth in the county of 1,000 vehicles per month. As far as um, FTEs that for are performing personal property tax assessment, uh, the last enhancements for this were in FY02, I got a personal property assess assessor, and in FY98, I got three FTEs uh, when semi-annual personal property um, tax collection was implemented. And I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about uh, the information contained in the item. Okay. Um, I think there's there's quite a bit to work through here. So let's start with the $100 out-of-state license plate fee, and I am uh, glad that you mentioned that it does not apply to the armed services, um, who I know can also get a, a waiver from actually paying personal property tax under the state code, correct? It's federal legislation. Federal, okay. Service members said we're relate that. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying to think about the circumstance in which somebody would – I hate to use this word, but I will legitimately have a vehicle in Loudoun that has an out-of-state plate. What, what it could be a business vehicle that's owned by a business that's uh, in Maryland, and the vehicle is brought home by the okay. employee of the business. But the standard is if it's garaged in Loudoun, right? It's correct. If it's normally garaged here, um, the vehicle should have Virginia tags, but. Like I said, if you're an employee of a business based in Maryland, it just you can't that it be required have, to obtain a Virginia. Is it just that it should have Virginia plate. tags, or that it should have a Loudon, or that it should be paying Loudon personal property tax? I'm not sure I understand your question. So there's a difference, right, between the standard by which you're supposed to register your vehicle in Virginia versus we 
the standard that we use to collect subject to property. personal property taxes yes there is a difference okay what can you explain that though what the difference is like my understanding was the, the notion of a vehicle being garaged in Loudoun is what we use to say you should be paying personal property tax right but, but it, it could still be legally registered somewhere else and that's okay that's correct okay um, I'm trying to so it, this sounds like it may mostly apply to like commercial vehicles. It, it's mostly going to be commercial vehicles, correct? Okay. But we um, have people who move to Virginia, to Loudoun County, bring vehicles from out of state yeah, that do not state. get yeah. Virginia tags or register them for personal property taxes. But by having this in place, I'm attempting to encourage them to register that vehicle with Virginia. It will be in DMV records. And we will have access to but you're you still have to find them first that's the problem right I mean correct we will still have to find that vehicle yes yeah right so that gets to the other stuff that we're talking about. it, it is possible for a vehicle to have out-of-state tags and still be subject to personal property taxes here yeah yes but we have to find those vehicles but correct. yeah okay um, I'm just sort of I'm not even really playing devil's advocate, but I'm going to raise it because I think it will get raised to us, and that is with the other two recommendations, are we going to run into any sort of privacy concerns? Um, you know, could you foresee any concerns about schools being asked to release, you know, information, those sorts of things? I mean, I'm sure you must have considered some of this. when you Sure, absolutely. I think on the utility request, um, authority already exists for the utility providers to voluntarily provide the information, but it's not required to be provided if I ask for it. So what I'm interested in is having authority to require that the information be provided to me just as, as is occurs with apartment building operators, as an example, and self-storage facilities. As far as the public schools, can I envision there might be some pushback? Yes. That doesn't mean that I don't think that it is something that we should have access to for personal property tax enforcement purposes anyway. Um, but like I said, I've reached out to uh, Chief of Staff of the Schools and Dr. Williams, but we haven't touched, haven't gotten a chance to speak. Okay. Um, I'll recognize Chair Randall on that, maybe a further thought on that. So, um, Mr. Chair, Mr. Chairman, you, you, we're going to have the discussion on the hundred dollars right now, but I, I'm a little, I'm a little confused. Um, the the recommendations to start at the bottom of page one and go through the top of page four. Some of these things that you have down here are things that are already in place, correct? Some of them are, correct. and some of them are new recommendations. Mm -hmm. All right, so okay, so. Let me first talk about the hundred dollars. I can actually envision a lot of times when, when, when there may be a vehicle. I can envision somebody who not just works for the military, but works for the State Department. I can envision somebody's here for a short term, for a short ter term internship at a certain location. Uh, my son did an internship for for four months in Ohio. I mean, I can envision a lot of times where where someone is th their car is garaged here for a short period of time. And they would not change their tags or get a new, uh, get an in-state license. So I'm a little, I, I think that's, I, I think this is this one's almost a little unrealistic. I also would have some questions about that. So 
obviously the, que the first question would be, was what do you mean by regularly located? Because that's, that's the statement that you have in here, is regularly located. What type of time period are we talking about? The second question would be, would, that, would they be subject to getting that $100 fine only after the, the DMV sent them something that said they have to have um, register here? I, 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 think that, I think there were so many people who passed through Northern Virginia for short periods of time that would have an out-of-state license plate that, that this seems to me to be, I understand what we're doing and I understand why, but I think that would be almost, I think it would actually overwhelm your office and, and you would find so many exceptions to the rule that it would be hard to, it would be hard to do that. And Mr. Turner may have just asked this question. I was looking at the package and so if you did, I forgive me. Um, my sons are down at, uh, my, my son is down at, at uh, VCU. Um, we got a, a personal property tax bill from Richmond. He paid it. Then we got a personal property tax bill from Loudoun. We paid it. So now we're like, thank you. <laughs> now we're like, when they, Richmond said thank you too. So now we're like, because <laughs> he paid that because he's just a good kid. So I mean, these these things, and again, he's a student, right? So what happens if it's a student who brings their car from us? How do we do this? I mean, I just. We, we, okay, one thing that I want to make clear to you regarding the um, out-of-state vehicle license fee is we're already on a regular basis making determinations to, as to whether something is subject to tax here or not regardless of the license plate that's just displayed on the vehicle. So we're already in touch with a lot of these. Yeah, but that's one of the new, that's one of the new recommendations, correct? Yes, and okay, so I'm proposing to bring back to the board a specific item relative to an ordinance regarding the $100 out-of-state license fee. So that's fee. not and something. I think, it, I think that an in-depth discussion needs to okay. be had relative right. to that. So that is so not asking, something that we're sending to the board to, tonight because we just don't have the, the, the particulars to that one worked out. Right. I think okay. more discussion needs to be had so that we can answer all the questions relative to how that would work exactly. We are not the, um, we would not be the only jurisdiction in the Northern Virginia area mm -hmm. to impose this $100 out-of-state license fee. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, okay. it wouldn't be well, that's a good answer. authorized I mean, by the Commonwealth yeah. of Virginia. Yeah, so to know, to know that that those particulars have, have not been worked out and they're going to be worked out. So that's not one of the recommendations tonight that, that we're asking to send to the full board. That actually, that's a good answer and um, I look forward to having that conversation. Mr. Chairman, do you want to talk about the other issues right now? Yeah, we're, one well, one? I am curious what the answer is to your college question, but um, <laughs> well, no, really, where, where are you supposed to pay your personal property tax? Uh, that, well, yeah. Up, but yeah, no, this is on everything. I just have, I just Because somebody owes us some money back. <laughs> what is the answer? The FAQ is on my website. <laughs> I'm not on your website. I'm not. right here. I'm just, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> normally where the owner of the vehicle is. Not, yeah, it's with the owner. owner. But what if an owner of the vehicle is at so, college for a couple months and then here? So it's that vehicle that you were describing in your particular situation, uh, Chair Randall, it would be subject to tax here if you're the owner of the vehicle. If your son is the owner of the vehicle and he took it to school with him, it would be subject to school to tax where even he though he comes back every i mean for break and at you know he's here all summer he's this here at the break the type of conversation we have with taxpayers every day i'm sure just like, <laughs> i can i, I bet just you do like out of state vehicles I, same conversations i bet you do um Keep going. Okay. Yeah. all right so the other question is is and 
that this was one that you want us to forward to the board is the, the one about the, uh, the schools. That that's one of the ones we're forwarding on tonight, right? That one makes me a little that one makes me a little little queasy. The utilities that one doesn't bother me that that suggestion, but you know, it, I would like to before I before I feel comfortable doing that. I'd like to hear back from LCPS. You said sure. you reached out to them. Sure. You haven't reached, you heard heard back from them. I'd like to have their thoughts on that before I feel comfortable forwarding that suggestion or that recommendation onto the board. So what I may do when we, because it may be that we have to split this motion and I may have to abstain on that one because I'd like to hear back from them before I feel comfortable doing anything with that motion tonight. What, what is it about that that you're concerned about? That well, it, that feels, it feels very, it feels very, um, I mean, you know, it feels like we're, we're, we're hyper-targeting Teachers and, and and LCPS admin staff. I realize that they're the largest largest employee. I get that, but again, um, you know, no, it's mostly oh, it's a students' card. Oh, good it's God. mostly students. It's mostly the students' cards. Okay, right, that are owned by parents of children who attend our public schools most of the time. Okay, and so that have that been an issue in the has that been an issue in the past? We don't know the answer to that question. We've never asked this. In, You've never asked that before, yeah. And this is what I've had a discussion with folks about enforcing personal property taxes. People don't want to know about all the dirty business that has to be done <laughs> in order to make sure that people comply with local tax regulations. Sometimes it's not pretty or fun. Right. That that these are interesting questions. I would be curious to say what to see what else. I mean, I I do imagine that most high school students' parents are owned. I mean, the cars are owned by their parents. Yes. And so you know, I would think that we would have we would we would catch those anyway. I mean, so you would think that I would think that you would think that I would. I'll, I'll be curious to know what they, what they have to say about that. Yes, uh, Mr. Buffington. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, generally speaking, I'm supportive of your recommendations because we have to find a way to make up and make sure we're getting uh, the, the tax uh, revenue that we're supposed to be getting. Regarding the, the legislative um, initiatives that you're recommending for LCPS and the utility providers, have you talked to the county attorney or any attorneys about this yet? We are, were there yes, we have, I have been in contact with the county attorney. Have there been positive office. or negative feedback? Um, they've provided advice, okay. which... Um, but they haven't said they, this is a crazy In the case of public on, schools, the, the feedback I've gotten is it's distasteful. <laughs> and that's not the question I'm well, asking. I mean, and for the utilities, the answer is the utility providers are authorized but not required to provide the okay. information. They can do and they, they can choose. Regarding LCPS, I mean, my general thought is that we have the students' personal information already. So what's the big That's deal not about getting? And I know this is different, but what's the big difference? What's the big deal about getting owner information about the car? Well, well. Local government doesn't have the students' information. Um, Loudoun County Public Schools does. Yeah, that's local government. No, it's no, not. it's not. Okay. So, all right. Th what I'm asking for is to to have information about vehicles that may have been issued parking permits. To me, that's not a big deal. Uh, regarding the hundred-hour out-of-state license plate fee, and how do you envision that? Do you envision that as a ticket written by the sheriff's office? No, this is a hundred-dollar annual fee. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, so LCPS is very aggressive about every single parent 
filling out forms for so they know exactly how many military parents and so on that they have. So they collect a lot of this information and they do it pretty aggressively. So you could argue that that is also distasteful, but their purpose in doing so is so they can get reimbursed and have an accurate count of what their costs are. So we could make a very similar argument here, which is that in order to adequately fund the school system, we're trying to actually collect tax revenue that is owed to the county. That said, I would tend to agree with Chair Randall that I think prior to the board firmly placing this in our legislative program, we probably should have some conversation, you on I'm your level, but also us sure. probably with the school board. Sure. Um, so that would mean, I think the pre-file date for legislation this session is like something like December 7th. Mm -hmm. So we may not make that for this year um, unless we put it in our program now. Um, I don't know if, is Gwen here? Yeah, I think she is. December 4th. That's pretty close. Um, the drafts for pre-file are due December 4th to, um, to LIS. So this is something that can be worked on over time. It's not required to be done this year. Yeah, it's I, I would say we may want to pull back on that one and maybe move forward with the utility one this year um, if everybody's more comfortable with that. I'm happy to get back to the board members um, based on what I hear back from the schools. Okay. Um, Mr. Sains, and then I'm going to make a motion. All right. Thank you, Chair. Can you walk us through what the the, the proposed FTEs would be doing in, uh, to collect the, to help with the, the program? And then another question is, would it be possible, say, instead of, and this is hypothetical, of course, uh, say, instead of doing a full FTE right away, say, if we were to, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you used the intern program over the summer. So what if we had the intern do the work that you're proposing for the FTE, see how it goes, what, um, how much revenue they bring in and then can justify possibly bringing on the FTE uh, later on down the road. I, I'm not right sure away. the uh, intern interns that we have used for real estate um, purposes would be at the level of staffing that we believe is going to be required for these positions. Um, they're going to be dealing with a lot of data. They're going to be interacting with um, taxpayers and making determinations relative to situs of an automobile and whether something is actually subject to uh, personal property taxes here. Um, I'll run down for you, based on the list that I have included in the item, those things that would be in addition to what we're doing now and what those individuals would be engaged in. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hold on one sec here. Um, They would be working with uh, new residents that we would be corresponding with. Um, I was telling you that I was proposing to send letters to new uh, purchasers of real estate here in the county. They would be reviewing the list of all newly registered voters that we would get from the registrar on a monthly basis. They would be reviewing on an annual basis a record of vehicles provided from DMV that are cited elsewhere but have a Loudoun County mailing address. They would be working with my tax compliance officers, cross-checking business tax accounts with vehicles in DMV. They would be working with um, HOAs and other associations 
reviewing information that's provided from from those management firms regarding vehicles that may have been issued parking permits and decals if granted they would be if the authority were granted i would be working with or they would be working with information that we would obtain from the public schools regarding vehicles that were issued permits for the utilities and also utilities which we've never gotten before and you know that we gain about a thousand people a month in the county right and about a thousand vehicles a month as well right we appreciate the information thank you all right I'm gonna go ahead and make a motion I am gonna deviate a little bit from what's in the packet and I'll explain that once the motion is on the table I move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors forward the consideration of two FTEs for personal property tax compliance specialists for the Office of the Commissioner of Revenue to the FY19 budget discussion. Second. Uh, I got four parts. Oh, we can do all parts at once? Yeah. Okay. If anybody wants to separate, they can. But And I further move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to direct an ordinance to impose a $100 out-of-state license plate fee and I further move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend the Board of Supervisors support legislation to authorize utility providers to release to local tax authorities information such as name, address, and date of service for new customers and for the purpose of ensuring local personal property tax compliance. And I further move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee uh, recommend that the Board of Supervisors engage in dialogue with Loudoun County Public Schools and the school board regarding legislation to authorize public schools to release to local tax authorities name and address information for owners of vehicles issued student per parking permits for personal property assessment purposes in a future legislative session. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I, did, yeah. I didn't want That's to, because right. I want to separate the motion. Yeah, okay, we can separate. So, so motions uh, seconded by Supervisor Sains. Uh, why don't we go ahead and separate now? Where, do, where did you want to separate? Um, I want to separate um, number two, the number uh, two. $100, $100 license plate fee. Okay. Um, be, until we get more information, on, until we work those details out. Well, I, I kind of took Mr. Wirtz's answer to you that he was going to do that as part of the recommendation here. Is that not? I have a draft item already for that. Um, to bring that to the finance committee and have a discussion about how that would work. But so does I'm asking you to endorse this, not adopt it. And you're going to have to go through an ordinance adoption anyway in a public hearing before you would be able to do the $100 license. Okay, but how did we read that? How did we read that motion, though? Uh, we, we, draft, we directed staff to draft an ordinance, which he's evidently done. Our, Okay. Um, Are you saying, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you, I think, in terms of, I'm not sure if I want to do it yet, but it sounded like that was a way to get it on the table, so. Well, Mr. Um, Chairman, if, if they've already drafted a motion, we don't need to direct staff to do what they've already done. I'd like to actually see what it is. That's, that's kind of my issue. I mean, you, 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 Mr. am I correct? You said that's done already, right? So we're directing have, you to do something you've done already. I have a draft item that's not been presented to the Finance Committee. Okay. And so, it was not included in this because it's really separate because you've got to have a local ordinance for that purpose. Well, would you uh, perhaps, Madam Chair, maybe make a friendly amendment that would simply, um, instead of directing staff to draft the ordinance to um, 
direct direct staff to bring to the to finance to the, committee yeah, exactly um, the, the, the wording of, of, the of the ordinance that would be since you've already direct drafted yeah. the ordinance yeah, yeah. would okay. that be accepted acceptable to fill the amendment by me. and that's <laughs> okay. okay and mr Staines. and then yeah. the the well the second part i i can i can live with the second part about the schools so i i we, we will we will see what what lcps says about that but that, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the motion was to yeah. engage in dialogue. Engage in the dialogue, so yeah. And you've already started that, started that discussion. So, okay, yeah. that's fine. Okay, so no, but, no division. Let but me a give friendly it, amendment to the motion. Yeah, but friendly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I haven't given an opening yet um, to the motion, so let me, let me do that first. Um, just to explain where I deviated, which was the first section, actually. Uh, it certainly sounds like, from what Mr. Wirtz has said, that he needs additional help. But I just didn't want to tie the county administrator in and direct him to include two FTEs in his budget because we don't really do that with anything. <laughs> um, and whether he does or does not, Mr. Hempstreet, um, I think is going to be somewhat his prerogative. And if he doesn't, then it would be up to the board to either add those in or not. And so that's the reason why I, I worded it in that way. Um, I just wanted to point that out. And the rest of this, I think we've already kind of discussed, sort of just gets these issues out on the table. Okay. Yes. So, um, yes, I agree with, with the, the, the difference in the wording of the motion because we want to make sure that, that Mr. M Street and his staff has um, the latitude to do what they need to do. Uh, you know, uh, um, Mr. Wirtz, I should actually say that the, there's been a lot of, um, work done on this issue in a short period of time. Um, I, I, I think we all realized when we, when we said that in the near future we were going to do away with decals, there was going to be some, some other issues that came from that. And um, while we still have a ways to go and things to learn and to figure out and to, and to talk through, I do think that this item that, that was brought tonight gives us a, a great jumping off point. And I can tell that there's a lot of work done to this. And we know that you know, we don't want to have one board action um, cause cause us to have to bring in less less revenue, and that's what you're trying to address tonight. So, although I had a lot of questions, I do appreciate the the item that you brought forward. Any other discussion on this? Then, um, I guess I'll just say in closing. I, you know, quite honestly, Mr. Wirtz, I'm not sure if I would have um, been as enthusiastic about supporting the abolition of the decal program if I didn't have as much confidence in you and your office as I do. Uh, because I knew you would bring to us some good strategies for obtaining the revenue, and that's what you've done. We, you did exactly what we asked you to do. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree with it, but we asked you to do this. So thank you for bringing these things on the table. We look forward to the future discussion, and I also appreciate all the things that we actually didn't vote on tonight but are things that either your office is already doing or is going to start doing that doesn't really need board direction. Uh, so thank you for all that work, and um, I certainly have a lot of confidence in your ability to Make sure we don't see a big dip in revenue as a result of our policy change. Thanks. So, uh, all in favor of the motion, say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? Motion carries 401. Um, we're just going to take a true five minute break. So we'll be back here at 837. Thanks.
Okay, I really meant it. 8.37, we're going again. Uh, yes, last item. Item 14, nonprofit needs assessment implementation plan. Um, so uh, coming back to us now from, we've had significant discussion. The light behind us. Like, what is that? Yeah, we have a new projector for those who haven't been in the, uh, the room here in a while. And it's, we're getting used to this sort of angelic glow behind us. Um, but uh, anyway, we've had quite a bit of discussion about nonprofits, and now we're talking about how to actually implement the needs assessment. Erin. All right, we will quickly go through the recommendations presented here in this um, presentation and then take your questions. As you can see, we have our subject matter experts with us in our human services area, so we should be able to field your, your questions. Um, as, as the chairman alluded to, uh, this is coming back to you. Um, on September 20th, staff presented the results of the nonprofit needs assessment conducted by the Virginia Tech Institute for Policy and Governance. At that meeting, the board directed staff to return to the Finance Committee with recommendations for implementing study findings. Additionally, staff was asked to develop criteria to identify nonprofit organizations providing core services as an extension of county services and to develop a definition of life-sustaining services. This item contains recommendations related to those requests that were developed by internal staff from the agencies you see here, as well as considerable input and collaboration from representatives of the Loudoun Human Services Network. And we just want to recognize uh, their collaboration in this. They were very supportive. First, I'd like to address the request to define life-sustaining services. Uh, this definition is key to the criteria related to identifying nonprofits who provide core services. Staff considered all of the board comments over the last year around the nonprofit needs assessment and the input from our nonprofit partners and would like to offer the term core safety net services as the key term for use going forward in this program. As you can see from the definition, staff believes this captures the new proposed focus of the program and that definition is those services that assist vulnerable and disadvantaged individuals and families in meeting a critical need for safety, health, security, and independence. <coughs> Moving on to those core safety net services, you can see here the criteria um, that we created for identifying local nonprofits whose services are integral to the overall continuum of care in the county. These criteria specify that organizations should have extensive experience in developing or delivering critical direct care services in the areas listed. They should be physically stable and high performing. They should be the primary or only source of their respective service, which is not administered by the county. And they should provide services that meet a county identified human services need. And they should be the best point of entry for, for the community to those services. And you can see some of the um, detail called out um, on this slide. That leads us to some uh, staff recommendations that are contained in the item on the grant program itself. Staff recommends using the criteria that I just went over to identify nonprofits whose continued performance and service level are vital, vital to the safety net within the county. Staff compared the criteria to the current list of funded nonprofits to determine organizations that may meet all or most of the criteria for core safety net services, resulting in the list that you see here on this slide. Staff has determined that if these organizations were to lose funding and as a result reduce or discontinue certain services, that this would potentially have a detrimental impact on the community and thereby also a negative impact on county agencies that serve these populations. 
Staff proposes that these organizations' funding be revised to direct funding arrangements in FY19. Um, it's staff's intention to explore how best to provide funding for these types of organizations going forward and things that, that we could look at would include competitive funding through a procurement type process for specific services that uh, the county deems as core safety net services. Staff is considering um, the current value of these contributions and um, how it could be budgeted potentially separately from the larger competitive grant budget so that the full million dollars that is currently the budget for nonprofits could be available for all nonprofits for the competitive process. Staff will continue to evaluate this as part of the FY19 proposed budget um, that the county administra administrator will bring to you in February. This potential increase in funding for the program um, would be consistent with the recommendations from the nonprofit needs assessment, which used a proposed funding model to compare Loudoun's nonprofit contributions to that of other organizations. Virginia Tech concluded from this comparison that Loudoun should consider increasing its total budget for nonprofit grant awards. Another staff recommendation coming from the results of the nonprofit needs assessment, as well as input from LHSN, is to revise the current areas of need. Here you will see the new proposed areas of need, which align with a human services and safety net focus. The new areas of need would allow the program to be more focused on human service outcomes in areas where the county services may not be mandated. You will notice that most currently funded nonprofits would likely fit into these new categories. <coughs> However, there may be some organizations, particularly in the current recreation and culture category, which may no longer fit the program. It's possible that some of these organizations could be redirected to the TOT grant program, which, if you'll recall, the board instituted this last year for the first time. Um, however, they would have to meet the specific requirements that are stated in that program. But it is possible that some could move over there. Related to the allocation of funding through the grant program budget, staff recommends two changes. First, staff recommends that the competitive grant budget be established at the overall level and not definitively split among the area of need buckets as we do right now with the budget. Applicants would still be asked to associate their applications with one or more of the board's stated areas of need, um, but staff would not be restricted to a finite dollar amount in each service area bucket. Um, when making funding recommendations back to the board. This would allow the applications and the awards to more closely reflect the changing needs of the community rather than a predetermined level of service in each area. Secondly, staff recommends that with the establishment of new program criteria that awards be determined starting from zero in FY19 as opposed to starting with last year's allocation as a base. Additionally, applications would be required to meet a minimum score to be considered for funding. Staff has also recommended that we potentially start a small focused grant portion of this budget um, and that a small portion of the overall budget be set aside for awards that would be of $5,000 or less um, and that would include a streamlined application for those organizations seeking those small grants. It has been noted in the past that some organizations are extremely small in size and do not have administrative capacity to apply for and produce data at the same level as more sophisticated organizations. Additionally, for projects or programs that are small and targeted where large funding support is not sought, the county could require less information where applications are made in this area. Staff suggests that initially for FY19, we start with $30,000 out of the overall grant budget 
for these small grants so that staff can gauge the interest and potential utilization of a streamlined process and report back to the board as part of our recommendations for your FY19 allocations. As stated previously, some current grant recipients, and I mentioned this before, in the rec and culture category might no longer fit. Again, we would redirect those um, potentially to another process. One of the key recommendations that came out of our nonprofit needs assessment was the creation of a strategic plan for human services in the county. Staff recommends that this effort be undertaken by the LHSN at the request of the board. This process could be led by LHSN with county staff in collaboration and involvement through the formation of a subcommittee as part of the LHSN. Staff recommends that the board request the formation of such a committee for this purpose and request that appropriate county staff be appointed to the committee as voting members to ensure representation of all parties. This effort could ideally be facilitated by a consultant specializing in this type of work and staff estimates that this project could be around $30,000 to complete with contracted services. This amount could be funded through fund balance and given as a donation through the community foundation so that um, the nonprofits could lead the effort to create a strategic plan. <clears throat> Turning to some administrative improvements, there are also um, some things which staff has identified in the items which we would the item which we would like to go ahead and incorporate into our process for FY19 in order to improve efficiency, effectiveness, and overall experience for the application process for our nonprofit partners. Um, on the funding model, you'll recall that Virginia Tech proposed a funding model um, which will help us to gauge our funding levels overall and how they compare. And that is something that staff would like to continue to look at and refine and use as a gauge for recommending funding levels in the future. We'd also like to institute an earlier process. Um, for FY19, we would like to release applications in January or February as opposed to our traditional March timeframe. And then going forward from there, we would like to perhaps go even further and put the applications out in December. What this would allow us to do is complete the process and communicate the awards that are approved by the board to organizations before the start of the fiscal year, allowing them to provide better budget planning and, and overall um, enhance the use of those dollars for their organizations. Um, additionally, staff's going to focus on improving the quality of the application materials, the FAQs, instructions, and training offered to nonprofits by county staff to facilitate this process. Um, we specifically want to start offering some training on grant writing and measuring outcomes to help our, our partners um, show the need for their programs and the outcomes that they're achieving since we are uh, proposing going to more of an outcome-based program. Finally, the proposed focus on human services and redefined areas of need, staff will focus the application on reporting throughout the year and on the planned and achieved outcomes that are coming out of the nonprofits. Um, and this will also be a criteria that will help us determine funding in a subsequent year based on the performance of an organization in the year prior and their reporting of their outcomes. As far as next steps, um, if the board chooses to, and to 
direct staff that the policy uh, recommendations that we've put out are acceptable and direct us to go forward with the program, which is the direction we're looking for this evening. Um, we would continue, as I said, to look at the budget and to determine how to facilitate the direct funding arrangements as part of Mr. Hemstreet's proposed budget, and that would come back to you at that time. In addition, the strategic planning effort that I mentioned would be around $30,000, and we're proposing that that would be a good use of fund balance. And as I said, we could contribute that funding directly to the community foundation so that they could begin that effort of engaging a consultant and creating the plan to move forward. Um, that is something that they have requested as a way to start moving forward, so that's a recommendation that is coming out of um, LHSN. Um, and as I said, the direction we're looking for tonight or the discussion is around the policy concepts that are presented to you so that we can move forward with the process in early 2018. Um, and based on our presentation here, we are prepared to take your questions about the proposed process. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of information here and um, pretty significant changes um, that you propose. So I appreciate um, all the work that staff has done and all the input that we've received. Let's open it up for questions. I have some thoughts, some things I agree with, some things I don't, but I'll turn it over to Chair Randall first. Well, obviously, um, first of all, Mr. Chairman, this is this feels like we are starting, to, we're, we're at the beginning of the end of the process that you put in place last term when we, when we totally started looking at how we were doing the nonprofit. So um, I appreciate what, what you did last year, last term, and I think we're just building on that good work. And I have to say this is, um, you know, I, I do have questions and we'll go through those, but before I start, this is a, a very, very good item. I have been waiting for this item to come, and I'm, I'm, ex I'm so excited that this is a very good item. This is a very good item. Okay. All right, okay, so I'm gonna go through lots of questions now. Um, first of all, let me say that I love the definition from, it's fine that we changed it from life sustaining to core safety net, that's probably a better, and, and the definition of what, what that means, I think is, is spot on and, and very, very good. So let me say that. Um, I will, I do have one major question about the, the core network providers that, that you all have identified. Um, understanding the criteria, and, and I certainly don't want to sit here and start adding things because that's not what, that, that wouldn't be helpful. However, I do want to ask how, how did we not also go with Loudon Care since they are the only 411 in the county and they're the only point of entry for some of our, to some of our other nonprofits. So everything on here, I expect it. Um, and could not agree with more. I was I was surprised to not see Loudon Cares on here. It, that would be that was the only one that I was like, how? Why, why not that one? So if you could answer that question, I'll just ask the, the rest of my questions and get them all at once. Um, for the for the recreational and culture applications, we did talk about TOT funding. Um, I I mentioned at the time that you know I recommended you all we we, we do this that we also may maybe talk to EDA about some of that, and I, I, I'm not sure if they would do, how they would do that, but I, I, I do know that they're, they're open to that idea. And so in addition to TOT funding funds, 
would, would EDA be a, an appropriate conversation to, to have and to have that with them? A um, couple more questions. Um, I like the idea of moving the whole process up because we're, we bump up so close against when the, non, when the nonprofits need to know what their budget is going to be. If we're going to do that this year, do we have time to do that and do the training? I do think we need, we need to do the training because this whole process has changed, and, and, but I just want to make sure we have time to do tr the training if we're going to bump the process up. Do we have time to do that training? And will staff do the training, or will that training be done by um, Loudoun Human Services Network or, or a combination? Um, the idea that we're going to um, increase emphasis on outcomes is perfect. Um, I don't know how many times I must say the words evidence-based. I mean, you know, this we, we, we can't just go to a squishy, soft place. Um, we have to go to an evidence-based place to make sure these things are working. Um, I think the thirty thousand out of the out of the overall budget sounds reasonable as a as a as a start. Um, that may go down, that may go up early later as we see, but as a start, uh, that sounds reasonable. And I like the idea that that for the minimum for the smaller grant amounts, that maybe the um, the the request that we that they give put forward may be more minimal. It may not be the full the 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 full um, um, application because it doesn't really need to to be the full application. And besides staff, I do want to thank members of the Loudoun Human Services Network, which I know has worked very closely um, well, with staff on this and will, as we go forward, um, st continue to be involved. So uh, all, all of y'all who are sitting out there, I really, 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 really appreciate all the work you've done with this and just every day of the work you, you, we do with, you do with the most um, at-risk and at-need uh, citizens in Loudoun County, you all, you really do God's work, and we, we, you know, without you, I'm not sure what we do. So thank you. So those are my questions, and that's my one, my my one question about loud and cares. Okay, I will. Uh, can yeah, I go, go ahead? On? Work through them best you can. Okay, so um, you you are correct. Um, the it it is this is not a perfect list of uh, core safety net organizations. We've had questions about some other organizations as well. Um, staff kind of did our best to go through and say which organizations meet the most of these criteria, if not all of them. Um, but this is certainly something that if the board feels strongly about an organization, we could amend this. This is just a place to start the discussion. So I see your point about Loudon Cares, and that's something that we can explore as we, we bring the um, budget request back to you. Um, if, if I may, Mr. Chairman, literally, literally, when I thought about these the, 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 the services, you all hit everyone except that one. I would there would be nothing else for me except Loudon Cares. You hit okay. everyone. Um, on the EDA, we can certainly explore that option and um, see if there is some capacity for for that to be a place for funding to come from for some of those nonprofits that wouldn't be in the process. So we can certainly research that. Um, on the training question, our goal is to start to deliver some training this year as part of the application process. So we do think we have time to start delivering some of that training. Um, our first proposal would be to use our new grants coordinator who is on staff now and has considerable grants experience, especially with nonprofits. So that's really great. Um, she is going to be working on developing um, some training to actually deliver and 
We have already told the LHSN leadership that we welcome their feedback on how that's working, what else can we do. So I think we do, as you mentioned, have a very collaborative relationship um, with that group's representatives right now. And so our goal is to start delivering some training in the areas that I mentioned and then see what else is needed out of that. And um, we would try to do that with the staff that the board provided to us um, in the last budget process. You. Okay, I have a couple of questions. So when we're talking about the contractual organizations, how exactly are we going to handle that contract? Are these organizations still going to compete and receive a score and the highest scoring one in each of these areas is going to be the one that gets the contract? So the proposal right now is that those organizations that meet that criteria that we've identified would be in a non-competitive arrangement with the county. But what if there's more than one organization that provides similar services? What we have identified is that these organizations, if they are not the absolute only one, they are the most viable, most um, wide-ranging uh, provider of that mm -hmm. service. And so they, they are pretty clearly kind of the core provider of that specific service. So we, that was one of the key things we looked at. So would that then mean that um, we would not give any preference or priority to any organization that provides some sort of similar service in the competitive part of the funding process? Uh, yes. we're covering it through the contract? They wouldn't receive any priority per well, se, but they could certainly compete. There would be no restriction. Um, yeah, but I almost think maybe there should be if we're already covering this in a contract. That's currently not part of the staff proposal, um, and that is something we could look at if the board is interested in that. I mean, it just feels like, you know, so we're not duplicating. Mean, the whole point of this is to sort of take these organizations that are doing the work that we really feel like needs to be done, and if they didn't do it, the county would have an expense mm -hmm. and get them out of that competitive grant process. But if they're the ones who are doing that work, and then there's really probably not a need for other grants for other organizations in those areas. I think but you just said these are probably the only groups that are doing this sort of. In work. some cases, but they I, seem. I remember they seem seeing to over the, the years, there's been there's been more than one dental thing I think that's applied, and you know, over the years. So there, perhaps there could have been. Yeah. Um, what I would say is that that if you want to restrict other organizations from the process, I think that probably warrants um, yeah. a deeper conversation. I don't know that at this point staff would recommend the board putting a restriction like that in place. Right. Okay. Um, and then the smaller grants portion of this, um, I guess I'm just sort of wondering, is that something that came up in the recommendations from the providers as something that would be helpful? This is something that has, we have had some comments from board members during various processes. We have discussed it with nonprofit, um, the nonprofit leadership in the county. And this is something, we have a, we have a ride, wide range of nonprofits in the county um, in terms of the size and complexity of their organization and their capacity to, um, to do certain things that we've asked in the application. We also have um, some organizations who simply want to do a very small, discrete program in a given year and um, 
providing a full-blown application does seem like maybe it's not the, the best use of um, the resources to try to determine all of the criteria that we have for something that's very small and discreet. Yeah, I'm just sort of trying to get my, my head around whether it's really even that beneficial to the organization to get a grant of 1500 bucks. Well, we, we have some organizations that, that do request that amount of yeah. money um, for specific things. Sometimes it's because they're small, and sometimes it's because it's a very targeted thing they want to do. Okay. Um, I definitely agree with separating the funds for recreation and culture, because I think we've heard complaints on both ends of that spectrum where, um, you know, organizations that are providing sort of human services type of services feel like, well, clearly what we do is central and more important, but the other organizations feel like, well, we can never compete with somebody who's, you know, feeding the homeless and that sort of thing. So I think um, that I don't know how much TOT would really be available, but that is certainly an idea. Um, I recently had a question about one specific organization that I had asked staff about, and, and you know, that I was thinking that might be a candidate for something like this. So, if you'll recall, um, the board's new TOT grant process provides yeah. a percentage of the balance that's available right. in the fund for these purposes, and I believe we had something like 200,000 available this year, and the board only allocated right. less than 30,000 to the program. So there's some capacity yeah. there, potentially. Uh, final thing is, um, when I make a motion, I was going to add one item in here, because I, I want to be very consistent with everybody and every item tonight, which is that we typically don't tell the county administrator what to include in his budget. Um, we leave it to him to make a recommendation. and so. On the issue of whether the 500000 is coming out of the million dollars or whether it is in addition to the million dollars, um, I believe that should be something that the county administrator presents to us as a recommendation and that the board either does or doesn't do. And if he doesn't recommend it, we can add it in. Exactly the same thing I just said on the last item. So um, I added a sentence to the motion which just says that this would be part of the FY19 budget process. Um, Supervisor Umstead has a oh, question. Thank you. This is what I wanted. <laughs> um, I have two questions, one of which goes to the, um, the staff report that indicates an interest um, in the future in co-locating service providers. And I wanted to know, do you anticipate it being um, family services, mental health services, and nonprofits? Do you think that's the best model? And what do you think we're looking at timeline-wise? And then the second on referral uh, agencies. There, there are three directions I could see somebody, maybe four, going if, if they have a sudden need for shelter or food. And uh, one, one might be, I guess, to call 911. The other might be to call... Uh, family services, um, there's Loudon Cares, but there's also the 211 uh, program, which uh, does on their website list uh, Loudon County services. Is it beneficial to try to come up with one source, one source of information for referrals that your typical person would think of going to first, um, you know, should it be 911, should it be 211, um, and then do we, if it's 211, which is statewide, do we 
update our information with them on a regular basis. Um, do you think, what, what do you think is the best approach to having a referral line for people who need help? So those are my two questions. So on your second question, I will defer to, to my colleagues here um, to try to talk to you about the, the best approaches for referral services. Um, on co-location, that is something that um, we're still exploring. That was something that was mentioned in the assessment done by Virginia Tech. Um, so we're still exploring what co-location would actually mean. Is it a mix of county services and um, nonprofit services? But I will say we have not um, we have not focused on that as of yet. But that is something that we can continue to look at. Okay. All right. Um, to me, ideally, it's best to have one entry into human services, or at least one place that people can come. Excuse my voice, and um, find out the information about all services that are available in Loudoun County. Um, that's going to take us a process to get to, and I would recommend that we think about that during the strategic planning process. We really assess where we're losing folks, how folks are struggling to either get to the system, how folks are succeeding, and depending on which program they go to, and we look at whether or not that's something we should uh, be exploring. So to me, that's part of the strategic planning process to really evaluate and assess how well we're doing with that. And I want to personally thank you, Glenda, for your help with um, one, one situation that uh, we had in Leesburg. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'll put a motion on the table. I move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to pursue direct funding arrangements in FY19 with the six nonprofits identified according to the criteria in this item and refer the total funding for the competitive nonprofit grant process to the FY19 budget process for the board's consideration. I further move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors request that the Loudoun County Human Services Network form a subcommittee for creating a human services strategic plan and appoint county staff as voting members of such a subcommittee, reporting back to the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee on its progress on a periodic basis. And I further move the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors allocate $30,000 from the FY17 fund balance as a donation to the Community Foundation for the purposes of providing a consultant for the Human Services Strategic Planning Process. Second. Which was made, seconded by Chair Randall. Um, I just would um, uh, you know, echo what others have said. I think this is um, a good, uh, a very good start for us. Um, we spent a lot of time looking at different ways to do this. Um, I will say nothing we do is going to be perfect, and I guarantee you after we have implemented this, there will be some organizations that perhaps may not fare as well that will not be happy with it, and we will hopefully not at that point go through another round. Um, but I do think there were legitimate issues that we learned from the previous processes that we've been through that we've really attempted to um, fix here, and, and certainly the stakeholder engagement that we've had on this whole topic has been fantastic and helpful to us in determining um, what this should look like. So thank you very much, staff. Chair Randall. So given Ms. Blake's comments just now about believing there should be one point of entry service, it, it, it reaffirms my belief that Loudon Cares, which is right now our only 411 that does that, should be on this list. So I'm not sure if I should make a friendly amendment to add Loudon Cares to the six, or if you all should just, could just go back and look at that, or how 
So if 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 I add, I probably wouldn't take it as a friendly yet because I would want them. To so can you do, okay? So then how about this? How about you guys go back and look at Loudon Cares and see what because especially given what Ms. Blake said, I mean they they're they're it. They're the only four one one we have right now, and they're you know you know they're the one that's up at at two in the morning when somebody gives a, a call. Um, I also want to say that as we as you go through this kind of new process, um, it's I think it's so important to let um, providers know that to some degree standards have changed and we're going to want to see some evidence-based data and the Loudoun Human Services Network can help help walk you through what that looks like. You know, evidence-based criteria is not that hard to gather. It really is not. Um, but to let people know that it, it can't just be like a before and after picture of a client, right? It actually has to be some numbers. So let people know that in advance. Um, uh, Mr. Laterner is right. There are going to be some nonprofits to, that that don't fare as well, but I don't think it would be because they felt like they were treated unfairly. It's because their applications weren't what they needed to be. They didn't score high enough, and that may be because they don't know what they're doing. So to let them know in advance so that they they come in. I mean, I've said this to nonprofits individually, you know, get, get the education and know how to do these applications right now because, you know, how it how it shakes out will be how it shakes out when the scoring happens. We we have taken the politics completely out of this uh, as it should be. So to do that um, education, I think, would be important. And to look at to look at loud and cares when you come back to, um, to perhaps see if we can add them, if that would be appropriate when you come back. So thank you very much um, for this. Are break. you coming back? Are we sending you to the December Board of Supervisors meeting? Yes, sir. That's what I was going to say is okay. we can include, if it's the committee's desire, um, information about Loudon Cares in the item that will return to the board December. unless Mr. Hemstreet has a different approach. Yeah, that would be what I would, that would ask for. And I think we would need sort of specifically the components of Loudon Cares that would right. be contractual because I'm not sure everything that they do. Yeah. Can you turn it around be. that? Can, they turn, can you turn it around that past? Mr. Hampshire. So the suggestion that I would make is what we really need from the committee and then from the board is are you willing to take the staff recommendation to break out certain categories of nonprofits that serve specific needs, which is we've identified six. If, if that's the guidance from the board, then my recommendation would be to let us sort that out and we'll make a recommendation to the board as part of the annual budget process. Because we've got to do the funding anyway, and so it, it you know, the the issue for us at this point, the reason why we're bringing it here and asking for a decision on December fifth is more around the competitive grant process and being able to develop the categories and be able to put the application on the street for the other um, grantees in order for them to apply for funding now. Well, I'm not opposed to what you're suggesting, but I have to question why that wasn't the staff's motion. <laughs> I mean, the motion very specifically was to grant those six entities yeah. funding, a contract. And what I just heard you say is that you maybe aren't quite ready to pick those six specifically so yet. we are recommending the six. Okay. We are very confident with the six, we are comfortable that they have professional management that is operating them and is responsible for 
the provision of services. Uh, each of those six have an executive director as well as well-developed staff that are responsible for providing service to the county. Uh, we would not want to put in front of the board a recommendation around a nonprofit that we are have concerns about. Mm -hmm. And so our recommendation would be we're very comfortable with the six. If we want to add another one, my recommendation would be that that be considered during the annual budget process. So you would keep the six, keep the motion as is, or would you say to not award any, not give direction to award any contracts right now if we I'm, want to add another? I'm one. comfortable with the motion that is on the table. I'm kind of confused. Um, um, may I, Mr. Yes, Chairman? sure. And um, I'm kind of confused also because, um, so I understand that, you're, that, that, that you all are comfortable with the, with, with the ones that are on the table, but the, the problem is if an evaluation is done and it is appropriate to add whomever else, one, the amount of money we're talking about would change, could, could change, and two, a nonprofit would not know whether to go out and be part of the competitive process or not. So I, I think it gives, it, I, I mean, I, what I'm hearing you say in, in, is that there really would be no opportunity to have anybody else because by that time they would, be, they would have to go be part of the competitive process because they, they, they would have no assurance of, of anything else. So I'm, I'm just... I don't, you know I don't what I'm going to suggest? What you're saying there? I'm going to suggest we just take a two-minute recess to talk for a second and get on the same page. So we make sure what the administrator is saying to each of us. So let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Thanks. That's good.
Sorry about that. Um, I believe we were, Chair Randall was, you probably had like maybe a minute or so left in your comment. We have a motion on the table, which is the one that I made, and it was seconded by Chair Randall. No, I think the discussion we've had is, is, is clear, and I, I, I would support the motion, and we'll have more discussions with staff later on. Okay. But the motion's fine. Thank you all for all your work. Mr. Buffington. I just want to thank staff and all of our nonprofits for your work on this. Uh, really appreciate it. I like the approach that's recommended here. Um, I do hope that we can somehow figure out what is the best way to get to one-stop shopping uh, type deal here. Um, I like the direct funding. I really like the small grant awards program. I think that uh, helps a group that right now is not really being helped uh, by the program. And I like the administrative improvements and the monitoring outcomes part of it. So again, thank you to staff and thank you to our nonprofits who helped out with this recommendation. Mr. Saints. Thank you, Chair. Nope, uh, same thing here. Just like to thank staff for their, their time and, and efforts on this and to the nonprofit community for providing insight and guidance as well to staff. So thank you to everybody. Okay. And I don't have any further closing, so we will vote on the motion. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Anyone opposed? Motion carries. 401. And that is the last business to come before the committee this evening. So we will see everybody. We'll see everybody up here tomorrow night and probably tomorrow morning too. Tomorrow morning too.